Welcome to episode 210 of the Overlook Hour. I am your host, Clark Little. Along with me, as always, is the man who is also suffering from this heat wave in Oakland, California. It's Randy Michael Stapp. Yes, sir. Call me uh, Michael Douglas because I'm a solitary man today. Because I'm not moving because it's so hot. <laughs> I just want to let that sit for a minute. Randy, you're, you're mostly a solitary man. Yeah. I don't know. I like going for walks and stuff. What are you, Henry Fonda? What, what are you <laughs> going for walks? Looking for blueberries? What are you doing, you old, old uh, man? I live in Oakland. I walk down the street, then go around the lake, and then come back home. It's nice. Just mask up. You understand? Be Always. I've, it's the first thing that goes on when I leave my house. What should be that and the love of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. How about that? Oh, yeah. He's always there. Yes, he is. Because God is good all the time. And all the time. God is good. Oh, Sachi, you were supposed to jump in on there. I don't I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I know what's happening. Is you feel this heat right now? You're gonna have that for eternal. Because you don't <laughs> love Jesus. How about that? My mom's Jewish. Okay, well, okay. They'll they'll be uh you know, uh matzas. Be matzo balls. <laughs> You'll get a lukewarm matzo ball down there. <laughs> Oksana Valerian Ivanovato Osachi is along here with us. Oksana, it's too hot in this house. I concur. We can't breathe mm-hmm. because people said wildfires. Someone didn't uh, burn out a cigarette, and now we've got a wildfire. That's typically how it works. Yep. <laughs> my, my supervisor just told me about a... She was. She saw a bunch of traffic somewhere where there is usually not. A bunch Good of film. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, but she said it was like a brush fire had started on the side of the road, and everyone pulled over and was just like pulling out whatever water bottles they had in their car to try and put it out before it like reached the houses that were right next to it. God, water bottles. Yeah. Yeah, with their fourteen Evian, fourteen dollar <laughs> Evian bottles. I mean, say what you will. I do enjoy the water that comes in from the Swiss Alps. It's a very nice tasting water. I think it was a bunch of those um, gallon jugs with the handles that like Uber drivers and stuff buy. Oh yeah. And they have in their car. That distilled garbage that only boxers drink while they're trying to make (laughs) weight. It makes you gain weight? No, it makes you lose weight because there's no no nutrients Ah. in there and it just flushes you out. You're not supposed to drink distilled water. It's actually bad for your body. It actually starves your body. I've heard that. Yes. Joe Rogan talks about it. <laughs> Joining us this week on the show is director, writer, producer, Charlie Steeds. Uh, Charlie wrote a film. Actually, you know what? He's written many films. The movie that we spend most of the time talking about, he didn't actually write. He directed a film called Barge People, uh, which Russell talked about um, how we were uh, privy uh, to learning about the barge people from listener Sam, thank you for that, Sam. Um, and then, uh, as it, and then we started to unravel the prolific career, prolific and brief career, the new, the new dawning of Charlie Steeds onto the world because uh, the man is 26 years old, and to his credit, has 11 credits as a director. Two of those being shorts. Nine feature films already. He's 26 years old. In like three years or something? He's got three or four films in the can just waiting to come out. And uh, we talked to him about several of his films and uh, his his process. And uh, it's a great talk. 
Charlie's a great guy. We were happy to have him. Um, you know what else we're happy for? Oksana's segment. Each and every week where she talks about what's coming out. What we can watch during this time of quarantine. Which, for the record, will never end. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're wrong. And uh, I feel like the Balboa is taking steps to prove you wrong because in addition to their popcorn pop-up, which they do Fridays, uh, Saturdays, and Sundays, they've started a socially distanced outdoors screening event uh, Friday through Sunday that they call Movies in the Parklet. (laughs) I wasn't sure where the parklet was, but um, if you go to their Facebook, um, they have pictures of they, they fenced off the sidewalk in front of the theater and they have like spaced apart seats and they do um, video screenings. I'm not really sure uh, what the regular thing will be, but so far it looks like a lot of um, Studio Ghibli movies that they're showing. Ugh. That's not going to bring us back. <laughs> <laughs> It'll bring kids to the Balboa who will eat a lot of their popcorn. Yeah, but it's going to set them on the wrong path. What? Do you hate Studio Ghibli? Uh, yeah, stupid. Totoro! What you have? They have more than one movie. <laughs> no, it's all Totoro. All on HBO, HBO Max as well. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to watch the uh, the one about the cat dimension. I forgot what it's called. The Cat Returns. <laughs> I have no idea what you're saying to me. Anyway, um, if you look up the Balboa, it's Balboa's Facebook, I think, has the best up-to-date information about their um, screenings in the parklet. They are facebook.com slash elbow theater sf because they're not the one in la but also last week i didn't mention because i have been out of it i guess is the sf doc fest started on the third oh they are featuring 49 documentaries from around the world i don't think it's geo restricted i looked for it hard (laughs) and i couldn't find any information about that so um you can buy a festival pass for 150 bucks and watch all the movies you want um it's going to be running until the 20th um they are also featuring filmmaker feud they have two episodes of this which is just filmmakers uh from the festival competing in family feud basically nice um the two i looked through a lot of their titles they have a lot of weird stuff i think but the two that stood out to me were stalking chernobyl exploration after apocalypse which is about hikers, uh, tour guides, and extreme sports aficionados, all the psycho people who have been exploring the Chernobyl landscape after, you know, decades after the thing. <laughs> the um, nuclear, what is the word I'm looking for? Explosion? Yeah, explosion. They also have a movie called Sleaze Lake, Life at Its Lowest Point which is um, about a community of van dwellers, I guess, people who live in vans, who built a ramshackle resort 100 miles out of Chicago. Um, But they have lots more. You can see the lineup at um, sfindy.com has a link to the website where you can actually buy passes and see all the the film lineup. They're all roughly about an hour, it looks like. Hell yes. So you have plenty of time to watch all... 49 of them if you want <laughs> for any questions queries concerns or comments please direct those to podcast at overlooktheater.com stitcher google play itunes the other one find us like us comment tell a friend tell an enemy it's not even my business what you do on your own personal time 
The Overlook Hour is available on Facebook as The Overlook Hour. The Overlook Hour is available on Instagram as The Overlook Theater. The Overlook Hour is available on Twitter as The Overlook Hour. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Randy? If you have any recommendations on air conditioning units for your house, uh, send those to the aforementioned places. (laughs) Yes, and then you can remind me how I got ripped off by Target by $100 (laughs) for my... Enjoy, Charlie, for Russell, Randy, Oksana, myself. Enjoy the episode, and we'll see you for 2000. Wait, what? 2000? (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you for episode 211. Bye-bye. And we both noticed their missing band-aid. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's probably hot in that dungeon. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you to Joe Oliver uh, for another edition of Two Sentence Horror Story. Uh, frankly, uh, a bit that uh, we've committed to far longer than I thought we ever would. Oh, we're, <laughs> we're growing up. We're, we're committed. This is the most committed we've ever been to a bit. I know. Why? I don't know. Because there's, it's interaction. Think of all the great bits we've had on this show. For- I'm talking Jim <laughs> Randy to Jim the rest. I like Jim Randy. Jim Randy was a home run. You yeah. Jim Randy is dead, baby. <laughs> not, not even, not, we haven't even gotten a quarantine version of Jim Randy. Uh, I mean, I had a, a couple of weeks where I was like going on jogs and stuff, but now that I can't really breathe well outside, I've just been sitting in the same spot in front of Randy, fans. Don't make this political. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's true. I mean, w- w- are you running with mask on or what? I would previously, but yeah, I don't know. I just haven't done it. I mean, I'm sure the mask would help if I went now, but. It just seems yeah, well, it would not help like a good idea. Burning trees. God. I'll tell you, I've been I've been doubling down on working out and like hiking. So me and Oksana went hiking again. And we live, what, a mile away from a, a place, oh, if even like half. Half a mile at yeah. the most. Yeah. There and back, it's two miles when I'm done. And it, it's a strong 40-minute hike there. But we went down there. Did I tell you this already? I think I yeah. told you. Yeah, and there's signs everywhere in that park entrance that are just fucking confusing. It's like, okay, well, the gates are open. We're walking in. And then you go down. There's a little bridge, and then there are three trails. And the one I love to go down was this little paper sign that said, don't enter, but nothing <laughs> else. I'm like, oh, fuck you. The other two were open. I'm going down here. So we walk down there, and then this guy who I, uh, I think described to Clark as uh, jogging with limp wrists came up and he glared at us with the meanest dagger eyes and i we we moved out of the way and we're like i was like hey man i'm sorry and he just dude he fucking shooting daggers through me and i, I don't know maybe shoot him back so i was we're walking i'm like what the fuck was that guy's problem like what what like does he want us running with masks on he didn't have one yeah and then i was like oh maybe they shut this down for traffic flow 
so that wouldn't happen. So I'm like, all right, let's just turn around and keep going. Yet, right when I say that, another jogger's coming up behind us. So we move out of the way, and I'm like, hey, sorry for being... this." She used both hands to cover her face when she came <laughs> up next to us. And I'm like, well, one, you know, covering your face, that's to prevent you from spreading it. So you think you have COVID right now, and you're gonna, but yet you've chose to jog in public? I mean, here's the thing. I think I... Oh, boy. Oh, okay. As a watermelon. <laughs> I may have done the same thing just as a courtesy. Did, yeah. did you ever think that it was maybe just a courtesy? Not, no, because it's... So here's the thing. You know, uh, again, coming from the houseboat where it's like, oh, it's a choice here. It's the fucking I'm right, you're wrong kind of attitude that I find myself hating on both ends. That's present. Yeah. For sure. But it's both. So like that lady was like, oh, honey, here, it's still a choice. It was kind of like condescending a little bit. Like, oh... Over here, we do it different. But yet still, out there in the fucking hills, this bitch was like, oh, because you fucked up. Now I'm going to have to do the right. And it's like, maybe I have an anger issue. I did go to anger management, but <laughs> I've been zen. I'm not drinking coffee until earlier this morning. I've been uh, fasting on and off. I'm very, I'm like a guru now. I'm yeah. fucking giving advice. I need people to cling to me. And it fucking, I was like, oh, you bitch. You think you're better than me. Yeah, you, I'm going to tackle you off well, this. <laughs> okay, but Russell, you've lived in the Bay Area your I entire know. life. And I think that's that why I'm a contrarian. A, that is a constant, uh, for sure. I know. I'm just like, no, leave me. The, well, also, I've been a mutant my whole fucking life, right? Yeah. So we're fringe society anyway. And it's like, this is why I end up like rooting for like, you know, villainous people at times. I'm like, oh, well, clearly you need to be on the outs. Yeah. But like. Really stop pot. telling people how to live. It's true. I, I didn't even mean to bring this up, but like it's always present. I know and it's fucking lame, and I hate it because I know eventually we'll be out of this moment. And you know, as as a culture, we we veer from guardrails. I always talk about that. We'll find balance, and we'll be in a perfect area in the future. And I just don't want people to listen to this show and be like, "Oh God, the Corona era, everything." Like you know, it, it is the new normal. That's just what it is now, <laughs> and. What I want is for the heat wave to stop. That's really all I care about. Because this, this, it is draining all of my energy. I know. I I can't. I can't do anything. I don't want to do anything. I just want to die. Yeah. And I just want it to be seventy-two degrees. Go the other direction. <laughs> Start doing a lot of exercise and shit. I I did yeah. this week. I yeah. was this week. I think it helps. And then like, the heat really. came. Well, no, I mean in the heat. Like, just be real aggressive against it. And, like, dude, the garage is the worst part of this fucking house. And I go down there and I'll work out, and it feels fucking awful. Here's here's what I'm worried about. And, again, we, we can stop talking about this at any time. But I am I have not gotten sick, like, sick sick. Knock on wood. In, in quite some time. Yeah. And so I'm thinking if... When slash if we ever get back to going out, you're gonna die. <laughs> normally, I'm gonna get hammered with sickness because I I just feel like my antibodies are are uh, Switzerland. Nah, your immune system's probably a lot better though. Also, I think I, it's worse. I feel like your general mood has been better too. I I don't know if you would actively contribute it to like living with people, but I mean, you what you were at your uncle's house, but you're mostly alone. Yeah, and I, I think you know it's just good for people to be around people, and it. Oh no, living alone has an effect. <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't know. I think you're more positive lately, though, and I think that plays a big role. I don't know, Randy. Do you think I'm more positive on the show? 
Yeah, I think so. What is happening? <laughs> Randy couldn't agree with us last week, so he's agreeing with us today. I don't, I don't think I'm more positive. There are times I think I'm losing my mind. Well, that used yes, to be every yesterday, day. Yesterday was a, yesterday was a day I, I thought I was losing it. I almost broke down because I couldn't <laughs> find my phone, and it was charging. That's how bad it was yesterday. The heat had gotten to me, and then I found my phone, and then my sister told me to call her, and then she told me that my mother, someone tried to break into my mom's house. Yeah. Jeez. Good podcast. So, yeah, yesterday was a nightmare, because, you know, look, no, but nothing's going to set me off more than someone messing with my mama. You understand? Oh, I understand. <laughs> you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your family. Precise. <laughs> yeah, what I've been doing is uh, making a bunch of those clips, so uh, that's, that's just a fair warning. And be, because you want to pivot, you want to get out of there. Well, she's safe. Okay, good. Uh, they, they, I mean, it, it was a pretty harrowing story, and I don't really want to get into it. But uh, she's fine. No, they, nothing was uh, damaged or taken, and uh, she is. I mean, look, there's more security on that house. She lives <laughs> alone, and but uh, you know, I, I think that my sister's really trying to to get um, the campaign going for her to get some sort of uh, animal. At the home, what a dog! Oh, <laughs> yeah, for her to get a a, a gerbil <laughs> or a gerbil. Uh, but dude, like we, do you know how many family dogs have died under our watch? You have a graveyard. <laughs> so many. We've killed so many animals. You killed them. Not not on like purpose. old Yella. God, I I think I think it's good for children to understand death early. I agree. Is that our doorbell? I have no idea. I heard a doorbell. Anyway, right? You know what I mean? Like, you need to experience death early. And I think pets are a good way of doing that. As I said on this program uh, a few weeks ago, I experienced death at age five with my pet, with my first pet, uh, Robin, and uh, found uh, worms all under his uh, undercarriage. Yeah. That image has been stuck <laughs> in my mind for 30 years. And it will be until my dying breath. And it, it, I mean, look, it, it it helped set me up for when I, you know, uh, my grandparents died and all the other things. You need to understand that death is imminent. Russell, right. your thoughts? I'm, how many dogs died? <sighs> Can we look up, uh, does the dog die? Will it have a running total? Well, see, we, we did have several dogs. Uh, I, we had a, uh, a teacup chihuahua that was four pounds. He was eaten by another dog. Okay. That was hor- it was horrible. Horrible. Jeez. Here's the thing. Like, yeah, he got chewed. <laughs> he got chewed up, man. And he actually lived. I- I'm going to tear up thinking about it. It's, it's real sad. Um, yeah, it's good. It's good for the show. It's it real sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are. Yeah. Here, this is why we need a video yeah. component because you are tearing up. <laughs> it's real sad. McGuire. He was named after Mark McGuire. Oh, my, you hack. Well, it was the summer. It was the summer of like Sammy I watched S- the documentary. It was the summer of uh, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire's home run race that saved baseball. Steroids saved baseball, and that's <laughs> And uh, it was the summer of 1998, and uh, man, it was great. And and we named him McGuire. What was the name of the dog that got him? Uh, it was a. It was a fucking stray dog that always hung around my grandparents' house. She always fucking fed him, and they fucking <laughs> yeah. It was a oh dude, I. I was I was super mad at them. I was like, "What the? What are y'all doing?" You had a little Chihuahua. Yeah, we had a Chihuahua, and then you uh, don't strike me as the type. What well, my mother? Oh, okay. And uh, I, I love that little dog. But uh, the main dog we had, Tex, 
Oh, there we go. <laughs> we had for 14 years. Um, and we got him coming back on a family trip from Texas. And okay. We, we picked him up. Uh, uh, we, went, we just stopped at a mall in Louisiana. And they had free dogs there. And in we a, got in a boxer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. In the mall, someone was just giving away dogs. And we were like, we love this little dog. And so we took him home. And uh, we had him for 14 years. And uh, I, I came here in the summer. I came, no, I came here in 2011 uh, for six months and then went back home in the summer of 2011. And then he died uh, a month after I came home. And, uh, during the, the 14 years that we had Tex, he had been uh, bitten by a rattlesnake. Oh, fuck. Shot in the butt uh, by someone in town. Uh, he had been dragged out of the back of a pickup truck while being leashed to the toolbox. It sounds like a fighter. He's the best dog ever. And uh, yeah. And then by the time he died, uh, he'd been riddled by cancer and it was just uh yeah that's tough it's real sad because then you get put in that weird monetary position where yeah. it's like oh you got 15 grand you do some surgery yeah. and then have a pet live like another year and we also uh where my mom lives now is ring is out in the country but it's a it's a busy road and uh just it is it is a cemetery of dogs and so the last few dogs that they've had out there just get hit oh how so how many what's the total <sighs> I know this is very morbid to open <laughs> five. It, you know, it does tie into winter skin, though. There is a dog, and I decided not to go down the line of questioning uh, with our guest Charlie this week. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. So um, Madeline, RIP Marbles, uh, when I first met her, she talked about how she worked on a film. And they, the only reason they brought her on was because she made a very realistic looking dog cadaver. And uh, winter skin. Holy fuck. They use that cadaver like kind of uh, a very humorous prop. Yeah. It looks fucking real. It was like uh, one of the better parts of the Oak Room. Oh, uh, yeah. With a uh, fetal pig. All right. Randy, did you ever, uh, Randy, you ever held a pig? <laughs> I have not, no. I'm going to tell you right now. I would have a pet pig. Have you ever have you ever held like a baby pig? I, I think I've touched one. They're adorable, and yeah. they're they are super heavy. Oh, I yeah yeah. <laughs> that seems on brand, and they are fast. Oh, little baby pigs. My my friend Stephen um, in college, they um, they had a house and uh, some roommates there. And they had a little backyard, and his dad was a farmer, and uh, he had a pig. He had a pet pig. Ran loose in the streets of Hattiesburg, Mississippi, to this day. Don't know where that pig went. Really? Yep. Just ran loose in the streets. We're supposed to have wild pigs out here in San Jose. I heard Rogan talking some shit about that. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Some dick and a dude brought pigs out here, and they're still out there. Oh, I've never run into a wild pig, though. That's how it happens. <laughs> we, 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 yeah, we've got wild boars in Mississippi. How much you pay for that pig? <sighs> I don't even know. Like it's going rate of a here's pig. the thing. Back, back home, if you want a pig, you need to get a pig. Really? You know what I mean? Yeah. Where? Anywhere. Pig place. Go <laughs> to the pig place. Get a pig. And you buy them or give them to you. Yeah. <laughs> they say you want a pig. Growing a pig. on trees. It's yeah. just like here. You want a pig, dude? That's why hunting is a thing. Oh, Overpopulation. Oh, I know. You hunt wild boars, yeah. Because they tear up everything. Yeah. It's animal control, baby. I get it. The pigs are adorable. 
However, I will always eat bacon. I I don't know. I'm a little disappointed. I thought we were going to have a long list of uh, beloved dogs you're going to run through. I said about five or six. Okay. Um, Yeah. What kind of dog was Tex? Oh, uh, Tex was a, uh, he was um, half German Shepherd and half Border Collie. Oh, weird. Yeah, but it was a good mix. He, man, he was the best dog. Best dog. I miss Tex. But the price was right. A (laughs) dollar. Yeah, I don't think we paid for him. They, they just gave it. <laughs> so weird. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna pivot from there. Um, we can stop playing the violin music that Randy's gonna put in later, and uh, <laughs> we're gonna go back to Clark's favorite segment where I plug a different podcast. Um, it's okay. It's one I've plugged before with with that really catchy name, the American Cinematech Show. Oh yes, Randy, did you check out episode two of that? Not the whole thing yet, but I started it. Yeah, it's a little lengthy. Now, does Bartok have anything to do with this podcast? He's part of this one. Now, episode two is called Haunted House of Gothic Horror. And uh, they have two guests on. It, uh, Joe Dante shows up yeah. and Barbara Crampton. And they talk about a ton of um, just like, you know, I don't know, old horror films. I don't know what other way to put it. Has Dante and Barbara ever worked together? I'm sure they have. They definitely know each other. I, I'm... My mind, horror podcast. I try to listen to them a lot, but it's it's a lot of retread. You know, the thing that we try not to do. Yeah. So I feel a lot of that knowledge is just like slipping out of the other ear. I'm like, Joe Dante, I know he's made a couple movies. But yeah, they, they talk about um, House of Usher, The Changeling, Castle Freak. And uh, they the one of the cool things about the um, Cinematech show is they pull a lot of audio from interviews that they've done at a screening and they have like Vincent price on here. There's actually a list down here. Gloria Stewart, Vincent price, Andre de Toth, Roger Corman, Robert wise, Nelson Gidding, Peter Medak, and Stuart Gordon. Of course. You know Stuart Gordon. Now Stuart Gordon, his interview is with uh, Bartok. So at the end of the, yeah, when you get through it and Gordon dude, he's a good interviewer. Yeah. Uh, I was good. I didn't know here. Let's talk about it. Would it be a faux pas? If I were to pull a clip from another podcast, you've done it before. Did I? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. No. It, well, I mean, three friends and like scary. Th- they're like, I feel like we've got a weird Bay Area network thing going on. But if it's like we're unrelated, and even though we've talked to Bar Talk, like, because there's a moment where um, Vincent Price is talking about making a 3D film and he hadn't really thought about what that meant. And he talks about going to 7 Eleven to buy 3D glasses for it. And I was like, wait, 7-Eleven? Do you have it queued up? No. Oh. I didn't pull it. I thought it was unethical. What kind of tease is that? No, well, I... No, look, all right, look, let me, <laughs> let, me put, let me put this caveat down. Anytime you want to play Vincent Price speaking, I will allow okay. it. Okay. Dude, <laughs> what a charisma on that man. All of the interviews they have there are great. And, you know, my critique of the uh, cinema, Cinematech show was that it feels, you know, dusty and kind of stuffy, but there's a lot of good content. Vincent Price, he spices it up, especially with Stuart Gordon and Dennis Bartok. It's funny. He he doesn't get into the jogging murder that inspired Nails, but you can always go back to our episode <laughs> if you want. <laughs> if you want to hear that, um, Marbles was on that episode. So again, we're recording on Monday. Uh, we have a good interview coming up in the later half of the show. Doctor Condoleezza Rice. What do you? Oh, mean? that's a uh, podcast advertisement. Yeah, yeah. Oprah has a podcast. You're reading advertisements. From Oprah's the- got a podcast. <laughs> Why yep. not? 
I mean, if first it started with Conan, didn't it? I don't now, know. Now nope. Rob Lowe's got one too. Yeah, Rob Lowe's got one. Yep. Who? So who checks out those shows? Are you just like a a Rob Lowe maniac? And you're like, oh, I gotta check out his <laughs> yeah, show. Right? It's weird. Well, Alec Baldwin. I mean, his his is. Well, was Alec Baldwin? Was his on radio? Yeah, his was like a WNYC thing That's that just okay. turned into a podcast. Weird, right? I, yeah, radio to podcast. I know um, political radio I listen to, they do a podcast, and I'm, I've completely jumped ship from live radio, because podcast, you know, it's on my time. Yeah. And so I went to my parents yesterday, and I had the idea of, one, we'll get out of this fucking hellfire of our house. And we'll, I'll drive to, you know, uh, two cities over and it will be immersed in fog. <laughs> yeah. Out of the frying pan into the fryer. Right. And dude, no, it was fucking hot. Anyway. Yes. That is why I'm. I, I know. I know. <laughs> and uh, the only the difference is their freezer is full. They have every kind of everything. They had a boba popsicle. Oh, God. Dude, I think you dig it. I don't like boba. I know, but it's so different. I'm iffy on popsicle. It actually tastes kind of like <laughs> I think that's why I had a cup of coffee today. I don't want, oh, this tastes like coffee. I like coffee. Yeah, you can only get it at Ranch 99 We, we out don't here. have enough cold sweet treats. We don't. And they, they were overflowing. You open the, the freezer and it fell out. But of course, you know, I'm on my fasting thing. I'm like, I don't want to binge. So I ended up eating cold hot links dipped in cold chili. It's fine. I can't look. Weird. <laughs> I, the one thing I can't, I, I'm okay with cold food a lot of times, like cold pizza, no problem. No cold meat? Cold chicken, problem. Cold steak, I can do yeah. Um Hot dogs, though? I can't, I, I can do cold hot dogs. Uh, well, the bun sometimes is a little, yeah, but. I went no bun. Um, yeah, I had no problem with that. I just dipped it. I cannot do cold chili. I get it. I cannot do it. I, I actually believe you shaming me at work for eating cold beans yeah. is what led Oksana <laughs> to buy me a hydro flask. <laughs> I do remember that. See, here's the thing, man. You know what it is? Because it's the congealed fat. Yeah. Yep. That's that's the issue. It's not pleasant to look at. And it's not pleasant to taste either. No, I just remove it usually. Yeah, but but then you're re- you're removing uh, something that could enhance the uh, mastication it. process. Well, also reheating food, I'm not a fan of. So you could, but you can do it right. There's an art to reheating food. A cobra does it all the time. Oh god, no, <laughs> god, Randy. Quick, quick aside with cobra. If you've ever been interested, I know you're going to answer no quickly. Yep. Um, he is trying to do Twitch. And he today he was live streaming. And, you know, on Twitch, if you donate or anything, they usually have like a little graphic that appears. Well, he just got out of eye surgery. He had cataracts removed from his right eye. So he's squinting with a pipe in his mouth. And all of Reddit's making Popeye memes. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he's got, you know, the blind grandma glasses. Oh, dude, it's it's amazing. He's like Ronnie Millsap. Like a 90s cyberpunk movie. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he, and he's, he's sitting there. Took him three days to set it up, and now people just subscribe because you know they had, they had pay pigs. They'd pay a dollar to say a dumb comment and get banned, but now all they had to do is subscribe, and it's like Gothic King Cobra is highly regarded, and it, all these in jokes, and he can't stop it. And the graphic appears over his face. It is the best shit I have seen on his <laughs> channel in a long time since it went down. Okay, enough with that. Anyway, back to my parents. I spent the whole day watching TV. Because my mom will do this thing when we come over. She'll put on things that she doesn't want to watch that she knows we like. And it's just constant. I'm like, mom, you can change this. We don't have to watch this shit. 
Anyway, she put on Impractical Jokers. I was about to say, was she playing porn? No, Impractical, <laughs> impractical <laughs> Jokers. She knows me and Oksana like She does it. not like Impractical she, Jokers? Her, nope. her, her watching Impractical Jokers is this. They're not funny. This isn't funny. And every time we laugh, she'll be like, don't laugh. It's not funny. She's thinking it's mean. It's weird. I don't know. You know, she was on her fourth shot by the time we showed up. And I think it was 12. <laughs> and she was just like, it's not funny. It's not. Anyway, the reason I'm bringing it up. Their new format, I think you told me about it, where it's almost just like a fucking, it's YouTube content. Yeah. Where they're all at home and they all make a meal and they eat it in front of a Zoom chat and they'll have guests come in, but it's just, it's like a podcast, but it's good. That's the show now? Well, for right now, because of quarantine. So they sit there at you, dude, you would dig it because the thing is, it'd be like me, you and Randy. And then this week you're hosting. So what you do is you tell us what we need to cook for the next episode. So you show up and the screen will have you like the one I watched, they had a peanut butter and jelly. So like Sal had four different types of peanut butter and jelly and they were all the most pretentious. Like this is an open face one with roasted peanuts (laughs) on a, you know, and it's just, they all do it. And then um, I guess Q is allergic to peanuts. So he just had like a meatball sandwich or something. He paid for it and it's good. It's just a podcast. And I'm like, this is fucking is weird. It's TV trying to find its avenue now. Yeah. So then I finally convinced her. I'm like, we don't have to keep watching this. Like, what are you guys watching? And uh, they put me onto a show that I've now become incredibly fond of. Uh, have you seen Ozzy's new show? Uh, is that the one he's traveling with Jack? With? No. I, I enjoyed that one. So Jack, um, he did a documentary on Ozzy. And uh, I guess since then, he's become a paranormal investigator. So him and one of the girls from Paranormal State do uh, paranormal shit. Like, they're doing ghost adventures, right? Jack is. Jack is. But the new show during quarantine is called The Osbournes Want to Believe. And what it is, is it's Jack, and he hosts the thing, and he sits there with Ozzy and Sharon, and he shows them clips from the internet. And then he's like, they, he just gets their commentary, and... um. Basically, he's like, how, how uh, spooky-wooky is it? One to ten. And here's the thing. Spooky-wooky? Yeah, it's just, he, like, he's just, he's being dumb, and it's very pointed. But Ozzy is so old, he doesn't give a fuck. So I actually pulled a clip, because, dude, I, I love this show. And um, episode two, season one of it, they have an episode called Breaking All the Rules. Of course, a callback. Everything's a fucking callback to his music, which is fine. But in this episode... They cover Filipino vampires. And yeah, I'm, I, this is a little long, so just bear with me, but uh, it's worth it. Here's jump into it. That's the intro music, of course. Um, okay, so um, here we are. Me trying to convince you that God, uh, the world is not as it okay, it's, seems. Now... I should set it up that they're, uh, they kind of got the thing we got downstairs where we're projecting on a wall, except they have three leather chairs that look like, you know, upgraded home theater kind of stuff, and they're sitting next to each other. Ozzy looks like a turtle that crawled out of his shell. Oh, I told you, he doesn't give a fuck. Also, um, a lot of metal publications came after him because paparazzi got a picture of him in a car, and he's just completely gray. And they're like, Ozzy doesn't look like Ozzy anymore. And it's like... Well, he's got Parkinson's, yeah. and they told him, like, with all the CAT scans they're doing, don't dye your hair. It's not good for it. So they're coming after him, like, oh, he's a corpse. And sh-. it's like, dude, leave him the fuck alone. <laughs> yeah. Also, you know, Sharon has blonde hair now. I don't like it. 
It's because they're not doing, they're not Nancy Pelosi and they're not going out and getting their hair done. So <laughs> instead of having gray roots under her red, she just went blonde. All right. Yeah. I, I, I did Good for you. All right. Here we go. Are you guys ready to become believers? Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, okay. I'm going to try. And- Dude, you're going to love Ozzy here. Is this you guys Harry are going to love it. No, this is an Oswang. What? An Oswang. What the f- is an Oswang? It's a creature. Allow me to read. A S S W O N G. No, it's A S W A N G. Aswang. Oswang. Now, I went back to Matthew Abea because. I remember him roasting people that referred to it as Asswang. Did, did that happen on our show? I couldn't find it. That was four years ago. I was jumping around, but he also, I, we saw him at Monster Palooza, so he may have done it there. Yes, anyway, possibly. we're thinking of you, Matthew. Here we go. I'm going to have a good old Asswang tonight. <laughs> it's some kind of demonic it- entity that is known to hang out in you know, Asia. Asswang. An Asswang? An no. Asswang. Okay, so this <laughs> appears to be a, a human at first, but it's some kind of demonic entity. Um, it's common. And I should know this. I'm supposed to play in a band called Black Sabbath. It's your fault. I bet you. I bet you have a lot of Aswan and fans. And it's in Asia. Yes, the Philippines. It's like a shape-shifting demonic entity that torments people. Again, it's a vampire. It's that's the theory. That's the oh, myth I know behind a few it. Of them. Okay, so it's their version of a ghost. She's, oh, yeah, just, yeah. yeah, just say yeah. She'll oh, f- no, it's all the <laughs> He said, so just say yeah so she'll shut the fuck up. <laughs> all right. Aswang through gate. <laughs> okay, I'm not I'm not going to go into the clip that they play. Basically, it's a uh, it's um, security camera footage of a gate. Like, we're in interior. Uh-huh. And somebody's walking behind it. And then they stop, and then they walk through it. And um, now, I'm not going to play that clip. Because I needed to get his response, but I had to cut it down a little bit. Are all so, of these episodes available on YouTube? I don't know. But uh, they were doing a marathon to lead into something on Travel Channel. And I was like, dude, this show rules. Did like, you see the show he did with, it was just Ozzy, Ozzy and Jack, and they, did, they toured the country? Oh, no, we're doing what? I think it was just called World Tour or something. Um, they, they would just go to, to different places. Um, they actually went to uh, Florida once, and they they saw the real Robert doll. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. And then uh, they they bought a, a little Robert, and then Ozzy flipped the fuck out, dude. And uh, but they they actually went to the Mississippi Delta, and then did the blues tour trail, and that was a real cool one. And it's just Jack and uh, it's just Jack and Ozzy. Oh, I checked that. It was out. a good show, dude. This show though, okay. The, I mean, you should watch the whole episode. I'm gonna put it in the show notes. But I just this response was, I like Jack. was so good. Here we go. This is um Sharon starting yeah. I don't think he looks Asian. <laughs> I don't. He's not supposed to. He looks supposed to look Filipino. <laughs> you know what? I hate you both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's the show in a nutshell. That that is a son and his parents. Right. So that's what that is. Yeah, I and you can tell like they do a good job of not editing too much. So like you can see Jack just like, Oh my God, like in this era, you're going to, you know what I mean? And uh, also that, um, that's a soundbite. So expect to hear. I don't think he looks Asian. He's not supposed to. He looks supposed to look Filipino. (laughs) (laughs) 
I couldn't believe it. But again, after watching fucking Impractical Jokers doing a podcast, which should be on YouTube, on TV, and then watching this, I'm like, this is a fucking reaction video. Honestly, it'd probably do better on YouTube. Clearly, the episode's up here, but the format is still a TV format. Sure. And I don't, I, I really feel like cut down on the editing. This is something that I talk to the Barely Functional Gamers a lot. When we do Twitch, I'm all about contents in a new, we're in a new world of content. Yeah. Let's show everything. Like they had this thing where in the intro, they're like, wait, people can hear you in the intro, so don't talk. I'm like, why? Like, if we're fucking around, I don't want to be quiet so that we can like come into your, uh, your, your your intro that you're doing for people that aren't going to like, this is a drop in and drop out kind of thing. Let's just fucking have fun. What do we care? Well, Russell, to be fair, I had to ingratiate you with this uh, theology. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Actually, um, uh, Daryl Hall is the one that really. Uh, and Oates? Not Oates. <laughs> well, Oates is a bitch. Well, Oates is. Um, Again, last time I was at my parents' house, I watched Daryl Hall, which was Daryl's Hall. Live at Daryl's house? Yeah. And, um, you know, he talked about... That's all he watched. Yeah. And I I don't know. It's Again, it's YouTube content that got picked up. Literally, that was YouTube content that got picked up for TV. And he was just talking... He was talking shit on all the old artists. And I know I mentioned this on here before. I apologize if you heard it. But he was just saying, like, hey, if you're old... And you think that the old model works? You don't deserve to live. He was like, you, "You like popular culture will move on without you." And he's like, "You know, I don't give my guest prep, and we show up, and then we go over the music on camera." And I'm like, "I think that's where we are." And the two TV shows I spent all yesterday watching, they kind of prove that. I don't know. I I thought they were great. Right. Fantastic. Well, Randy Michael Stat. Yes, sir. It's time for you to deliver a couple different motion pictures that you have seen over the past week. Indeed. And uh, since we're talking so much about TV shows, I will mention that uh, last night slash evening, I watched all of Search Party season one. Randy, on started HBO it. Max. How was it? I dig it a lot, actually. It's, uh, yeah, you know, it's like a, one of those stories where a girl goes missing and, uh, a girl played by Alia Shawkat, she uh, gets obsessed with finding her, but it takes place in like a very millennial New York City. And uh, yeah, it's like dark comedy, mystery type of thing, and it's now, a lot of fun. Now, this was a TBS show originally, right? Yeah, which I'm actually surprised because it's unedited on HBO Max. And uh, I mean, there's like some language, which I would not expect to be on TBS. It's not like super raunchy or anything, but... It's uh, it's good. TBS can get it. You understand? Can they? I don't know anything about TBS. Ted Turner gets it. Is he? Is he still with us? <laughs> Ted, yeah, he's riding buffaloes in Montana or whatever. Is he really? Did you never see? You never saw that um, sketch that Conan did on the show years ago, where oh, uh, Will yeah. Forte would come on as Ted Turner and he'd be riding a giant buffalo. No. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Actually, uh, Ted uh, Turner is a uh, very young and spry 81. 81. Oh. I really thought he was older. God, Ted Turner's a maniac. <laughs> I love him. WCW. I don't think he's a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at his face there. He's entertaining, though. All right, Randy, uh, what, what, mo- what movies you got? Uh, yeah, so I watched a movie on the Criterion channel called Infinite Football. 
It's a 2018 documentary. Uh, it's a Romanian uh, film directed by Cornelia Poramboyu, who did The Whistlers, which I watched earlier this year and talked about uh, here. Yeah. Uh, and this documentary follows this, uh, I don't know, he's like a 50-year-old Romanian guy who um, he's envisioned a new way of playing football, a.k.a. soccer for us Americans. Football. Yes. And um, you kind of find out why he's um, reinventing the sport. Uh, he was injured when he was a kid. He essentially got like tackled pretty much and broke like his uh, fibula or tibia, whatever, one of the two. <laughs> and uh, that pretty much caused him to rethink how the sport was played to sort of prevent these sort of things from happening. Um, so the movie kind of starts out with like him uh, with like a whiteboard and the director is actually like in the movie. Um, so he's just like talking to him uh, and he's describing to him like all of his theories about how it should be played. Uh, he's like, there shouldn't be any right angles like at the end of the ends of the court because the ball can get stuck there and you want the ball to keep moving. He's like, the ball is the star of the sport. So like the ball <laughs> needs to keep moving. And he decides to like divide the field up into like, four different sections and then he kind of like uh gets caught up with like offsides rules so he's essentially just like yeah let's just get rid of those and then we'll break up the teams and five people will stand here then like another two people will stand here and he draws it all out and like it's very thought out in his brain and like the way he's describing it like it obviously like sounds kind of goofy but the movie takes it very seriously like it's not really making fun of him um, although there's definitely a lot of comedy to be had. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's super like dry and deadpan. Like this dude is a, a very <laughs> interesting character. And, uh, yeah, towards the end, they actually get a bunch of soccer players at like a indoor soccer, uh, court or whatever. And they try to execute his plan, uh, of how the sports should be played, um, as according to him. And there's, a section where the ball essentially just gets stuck on uh, one portion of the court. And there's like three players that haven't like had anything to do for like 20 minutes. <laughs> now I know you're a big quakes fan. So how, how was it like, do you think they're making fun of the sport or did you feel like, Oh, this is a reimagining we could really use. Uh, they definitely like weren't making fun of football. And like, I don't think the director is trying to make fun of this guy either. I think he just thinks he's very interesting. Um, so like I said, it doesn't really make sense. And he kind of talks to like some, uh, you know, sports professionals, like some soccer professionals and they're like kind of poking holes in like all of his I don't ideas. know. I like, the, I like the no corners rule. Yeah. I mean, it looks kind of cool. <laughs> now, did we get any athlete cameos in this film? I mean, none that I'm aware of. I don't really know anything about the, the world of football. So no Harry Kane. <laughs> No, no, not sure. But uh, it's Beckham. (laughs) No, (laughs) but yeah, it's uh, a it's very entertaining. It's like I think it's like 70 minutes long. Uh, Yeah. And it's on Criterion Channel right now. All right. Interesting. Infinite. Wait, where is Criterion Channel now? It's on HBO. Criterion Channel is Criterion Channel. Yeah. Okay. What I aren't people like, oh, I only subscribe to this thing for the Criterion catalog. Oh, yeah. It's kind of weird because they have TCM on uh, HBO Max now. And I TCM also has some Criterion titles. 
So it's kind of confusing. Okay. But there still is the Criterion channel. Yeah. Which they don't have their whole catalog on. Correct. But they did so have weird. the Criterion channel, and then they canceled it, and now they got the new one. Oh, weird. Yeah, this is like Criterion Channel 2.0. So Criterion oh, they channel. had uh, Filmstruck before, is what it was. There you go. Yeah, I remember when you were covering that. Now, does the Criterion Channel have, like, curation in there? Are there, like, people doing intros and stuff, like new content, or...? Yeah, there's a, a lot of, like, you know, bonus feature type things. And um, well, yeah. piece of shit Ben Mankiewicz? Uh, no, he doesn't really show up in Good. Criterion Channel. Uh, but yeah, this Infinite Football movie is not a Criterion movie, so they just have, they have a lot of different things on there that, like, they kind of want to put on their platform. Now, uh, since you mentioned an audio drop, I, earlier, before we started recording, I teased you. It does have a film tie-in, so I'm just going to shoehorn it in here. Yeah, especially sure. while we're talking about highbrow. Here you go. It's really quick. Swingblade's wearing a dress. Who's wearing a dress? <laughs> here. Swingblade's wearing a dress. Slingblade. 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 <laughs> I thought I was saying Swingblade, dude. Slingblade. No, right you know who that is, too, right? Yes. Yeah. You want to go ahead and... Uh... Who is it? It's a guy. It's this guy. Trigger! <laughs> Randy, there's a uh, conservative gentleman in Central Florida uh, who makes uh, videos of him uh, on a, s- a particular corner. Oh, they're different. It's he, different corners all the time. Uh, it's mainly the one corner. Well, I I was doing my homework in case this He's, came He up. does switch it up. He does, yeah. He does switch it up, but it's a lot of the same ones. Um and he is uh, out there uh, waving the flags for Trump, and he's got a lot of people Dude. out there, and uh, sometimes <laughs> you get across a couple of good ones. So he, he's a weirdo in Florida who um, is a hell of an artist, and he paints Trump into, like, the Terminator and all these fucking ridiculous caricatures. And he goes out there on the street, and he was this very, like, soft kind of like empathetic dude who when people would drive by and just like flip him off and get out of the car and threaten him he'd just say you know he'd, he'd just yell triggered and then he'd call him a weirdo he's yeah. like oh it's a triggered weirdo and me and Clark were just like this is bizarre yeah because it's like it's confrontational it politics. was never it was never F you it was never ugly it was always a weirdo now that was a month ago yeah now after doing this every he day has for a month down a little bit. he's been breaking down <laughs> And uh, there's a, some B words coming out. He's uh, referring to people in ugly ways. I got to show you one from a few days ago. And I think he's he's a really good um, example of how politics, like, if you're too in it, man, it, it just turns your soul. Like, it, it starts corrupting it into a little black hole. And, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a gentleman on the other side of the street who was protesting that he's like, look at this guy. He looks like Sling Blade. Well, he popped back up. And he said, hey, Sling Blade's wearing a dress. <laughs> so I pulled that. That's good. Yeah. Anyway, back to uh, football. And neither one of you has seen Sling Blade. So. Randy, you haven't seen it? I've never seen Sling Blade, no. Right, that's your homework for next no, week. No. We- <laughs> Homework's back, when baby. When Randy comes out and we reunite, we'll watch Sling Blade on the water. Sling Blade's fantastic. <laughs> Would that work? We'll rent a barge. We'll oh, take a barge out and watch a narrow Sling Blade. Boat. A narrow boat. All right, Randy, tell us about this other one that uh, I'm interested in on how you pronounce it. Uh, yeah, it's called The Lost uh, Okoroshi. It's, uh, I think it played TIFF last year, but it's just now 
uh, released on Netflix in the US at least. Uh, it's a Nigerian film directed by Abba Makama. Uh, and it's about this guy named Raymond who is living in Lagos, Nigeria. Uh, he's a security guard at this like kind of fancy building. Uh, he lives kind of in like a not as fancy part of town. And he's kind of just like, not really like a stoner, but kind of just like a, like a layabout. Uh, and he's kind of complaining a little bit about how like modernization uh, is coming to like his city. And he kind of like wants to, wants to get out a little bit. Uh, but he's also haunted by these dreams of masquerades, uh, which is essentially just like a bunch of masked characters um, with like very cool uh, costumes. Um, yeah, so he's having these nightmares every day and he's, uh, he's getting chased by this one uh, in particular that keeps happening. And it's, uh, he finds out through like an elder in his community, he's talking to him like about his dreams and stuff that uh, this character is uh, called an Okoroshi, which is like an ancest- in ancestral spirit that's like said to look over uh, kind of like the community and stuff. And um, eventually one night uh, he has this dream and uh, he turns into the Okoroshi and then he starts going around town um, as this, this spirit. And he's kind of like helping the people in the community, uh, stuff like that. It's kind of like a little bit like a ghost story um, in the way that it's just very like economic uh, with like the kind of things that they do, you know, like ghost stories, just Casey Affleck in a sheet for like most of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this kind of reminded me of that. Uh, the costume is super cool. The dream sequences are like, uh, also like you could tell it's pretty low budget, but they do a lot with just like framing and like the coloring, um, that make it look pretty surreal. Um, and yeah, it was just a really like a movie that felt really rich in like the culture and mythology, uh, from where it's coming from. And it was just, I don't know. It's, uh, it's pretty fun. Uh, it's kind of comedic as well. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, also the score is really good. It's kind of like a synthy kind of hip hoppy score. Um, I don't know. I was, uh, I heard about it also on a podcast. Um, boo. Yeah. And I, I, I recommend it. It's, it's pretty cool. The stills look uh, beautiful. Yeah. They, uh, on the Netflix. Yeah. I think it just, uh, just came on there this, this past week. So yeah, the visual style is, uh, is very, very good. And uh, yeah, it's a unique little movie. I uh, really don't know how much it cost or anything about uh, the director, really, but I was uh, I was surprised by it. I love the way that the uh, entity or like the ghost spirit looks. Yeah, it's really cool. I don't know. It looks low budget in that way that I love. Like, yeah, it's very one. practical. Yeah, like it's shot in a house that somebody lives in. Yeah, and you get all that interesting like laundry baskets in the background. For yeah, sure. I don't know. I'm I'm down. And Netflix, what is this? Counter Cuties programming? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I guess this will go into what Clark will talk about too. But every once in a while, Netflix surprises me with uh, either an original title or like copying something like this and throwing it on the platform. For sure, it, it, it's an excellent uh, segue into what I'm uh, talking about because it's also a film that you saw as well. Uh, a film that I have been uh, anticipating for quite some time, as I have. Uh, one of the few novels that I've read in my life. Uh, this is one of them, and it was adapted by Charlie Kaufman. So, uh, obviously, that uh, piqued my interest there. And uh, be, but back to your uh, bigger point about Netflix is that, I mean, look, let's call a spade a spade here. Net, what Netflix is doing is they are in the reality 
murder porn business right now. Okay. I mean, that is what they're pumping out. They're yeah. pumping out reality shows and docu-series and, you know, did this man murder that man? <laughs> That's really what Netflix yep. is. Post-Tiger King. Uh, even yeah. I, I, I think Tiger King, you know, mixed with uh, the early days of quarantine, you know, that really, <laughs> that really was a, a, a juggernaut that just, uh, that was a powder keg that just went crazy. And, but honestly, like a, a Netflix original film, that's, and again, I, I don't want to take away anything from the, you know, these filmmakers, but a Netflix original film doesn't really sing like it used to. No. Or did it ever? I, to a degree, maybe. But 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 now it's it's just become this thing, and you know I, I still think that Amazon's kicking Netflix's ass well, in terms a, it's of a loaded original phrase too. content. Netflix content. will just take you know foreign films and call it a Netflix original. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, but I, I think Amazon's doing a, a better job on the production end. Um, the Netflix is, as you said, I think Netflix is just stamping their yeah. name on it. Amazon has yeah. that little show. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, The Boys. It's weird. It just showed up on my feed and it took up three whole rows, you know, right yeah. when you get into the app. You, and- you got to pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, so fucking aggressive. The top one is just, uh, you know, the boys, one row. The next I mean, one is every episode is a film. I'm not going to lie to you. I like the boys. I thought you were out. I thought originally I mean, you were like, oh, you're back. I like the boys. Okay. I was never out. I'm just kind of burnt out on superheroes. I get shit. it. Yeah. But I like. Eh, I get it. They're doing fun. something different. I just don't um, commit. So I'm referring to I'm thinking of ending things uh, from Charlie Kaufman, uh, based on the novel written by Ian Reed, and uh, Canadian author. And I say novel, but it's a it's a short. It's a I mean I don't I don't know if it'd be considered a novella. I read this thing in like four hours, three or four hours. It's a it's a rather small how uh, small novel, pretty small, around two hundred pages ish. So a dime Maybe less than that. A dime store. Um. So. I will tread lightly here because there is um, it's spoiler town. Yeah, it okay. can be if if you get it too much into it. But w- but what I'll say is that um, all right, here's here's the synopsis: full of misgivings, a young woman travels with her new boyfriend to his parents' secluded farm. Upon arriving, she comes to question everything she thought she knew about him and herself. A lot of this movie takes place in a car where we feel very claustrophobic with these two characters who have started dating and within a time frame of six weeks or so. Now, that time frame is muddled, uh, and also their um, the story of how they met is also muddled. Everything is muddled, and that, <laughs> that makes sense towards the end of the film. Um, this is Charlie Kaufman exercising what Charlie Kaufman does. And I, I think that this was a perfect project for him as the novel. Now I will say when I read this book, I was terrified. Oh, really? <laughs> it, 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 there's no, there are no real elements of horror per se in this adaptation. Okay. Now it's depressing as shit when you really soak it in. Mm-hmm. Of of what this story is and and what's really happened to these characters, um, and I think that does a better job than the book did, 
And Charlie Kaufman, he he takes his own spin with it as only he, as he should, because mm-hmm. I think we need to protect artists like Charlie Kaufman. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I loved what he did with this adaptation. <sighs> but, man, it's it's a bummer. Now, when, when you really think about and, and uh, Jesse Plemons and Jesse Buckley are our two stars. Uh, Jesse Plemons, um, as you know, also, this is a, a slight um, reunion of Fargo season two. Randy, oh, OK. Uh, with uh, actually, you know, incorrect. I don't think they were on the same season. <laughs> are oh, they? I don't <laughs> know. I don't, I don't remember I, season two. I think David uh, Thu, uh, Thewlis was on season three and Jesse Plemons was on season two. Uh, uh-huh. uh, but David Thewlis and Tony Collette play his parents. Tony Collette. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, Randy, what, what was your impressions of, of this film? As, as you were not familiar uh, with the novel, but you are familiar with uh, you know, the uh, creative genius of Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, I really dug it, and I won't say too much more because I think you did a good job of not saying too much, and I don't really want to say too much either. But uh, no, I very much was into it, but it definitely changed my mood and like perspective for the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, so it is definitely like the most Charlie Kaufman, Charlie Kaufman film. So if you're familiar with his characters who tend to be, you know, depressed people, very nihilistic, this is like, yeah, this is that basically if you want to live in Charlie Kaufman's head for two hours and 15 minutes, uh, and you can handle that, then you'll dig it. But I could see why people would not like this movie. <laughs> it it is I yes it is nihilistic. However, I do think that it is it's more organized. I don't know if organized is even the right word I want to use than Schenectady, New York. Yeah, Schenectady is uh, very hard for me to approach. I guess it's uh, yeah I don't know. This this is more palatable. However, For this sure. is still a Charlie Kaufman film, and the fact that Netflix bought this excites me because this is counter-programming for Netflix. Yeah. This is not something, and I've been looking on Netflix every day to see if this movie's trending. It's not trending. I thought you canceled Netflix, didn't you? I go back and forth. I go back and forth. <laughs> um, dude, it, it's, it's insane. Um, I drop things. I pick them up the next week. It's, what are you going to do? Um, because this, it 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 flabbergasts me that this is on Netflix. Because this is not what that audience is. This is, I don't see how people are just blindly going to go into this, and they're oh I enjoyed. It. I'm thinking of anything. No, you didn't. Yeah. Well, they also have the option of just turning it off immediately. Yeah. At no sure. well, I, cost. Sure. But and again, a lot of this film takes place in a car. In a yep. snowstorm. Which, I didn't notice this, but a uh, review I was listening to, did you notice they weren't wearing seatbelts? I did not. Yeah, there's a bunch of little things that I kind of like, either I thought, like after processing it, or heard or read in other reviews, that it, I actually really do want to watch this movie again, uh, even though it's, you know, rather dark. There's a lot that I think, I don't know, a second viewing would, would help a little bit. So, Randy, as a manic depressive soccer fan, what what, <laughs> yep. what did it change your mood to? That's the funniest thing you've ever seen. <laughs> um, I won't say too much, but it it made me just like self reflect a little more. Like yeah. I I do that. 
a bit anyways, but this like threw me into like very much like self-reflecting for like the rest of the day. Also, I watched this movie at six in the morning. I don't love a 6 a watch. <laughs> I was very excited for it, as you can probably tell. And, uh, you know, I'm not a late night guy, so I didn't watch it at midnight when it hit Netflix. But I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to wake up a couple hours early for work, watch this movie, then clock into work. So oh, fuck. I forgot you go to work. I mean, I, I didn't actually go to work, but, you know, okay. I switched from my TV to my computer at like 830. Okay. Still, having an obligation and waking up that early just shows like a level of commitment that now makes me uncomfortable about you watching it at 6 (laughs) a.m. Squeezing that movie before a nice day of work. I mean, honestly, I feel like I'm at my most attentive very first thing in the morning. So I feel like it helped. Yeah, no, me and Clark were talking. I think we talked about that last week where the early morning movie. It's like you're kind of waking up, but you're kind of it forces you to be immersed in the film in a different way. Yeah. yeah, so I get it. It's just then transitioning to work after a film that uh, Randy said made him reflect. I don't know. Yeah. That's a fun day. I love it. <laughs> I love a 9 a.m. movie. Throwing a good 98 degree weather. Oof. Yeah. We're living the dream. Uh, also, uh, there's a great uh, Robert Zemeckis joke. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. At his expense. It's um, pretty good. Well, also, uh, just. Um, Shout outs to Jesse Buckley in this movie. I think she's maybe the most interesting character in the movie. And uh, yeah, I think I talked about Wild Rose on the show early last year or sometime last year. Um, yeah, I, I dig her a lot. She's great. Yeah. And I, I watched Wild Rose, uh, per your recommendation, on a flight back from Houston, Texas. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, I, I loved Wild Rose. I love Jesse Buckley. She's, I mean, she's incredible in this. And uh, I mean, yeah. look, every, everyone's bringing it. Um, and, uh, I, I, out of the three films, Schenectady, uh, Anomalisa, a, I mean, this is the easiest to pronounce of the films. (laughs) Um, I do think, I don't know. Anomalisa I love, but I haven't revisited. Yeah. I, I don't know if I want to. I completely, I has no idea. I remember that affected me in, in a way. Um, I remember the trailer affecting everybody in a way. And then we go and watch the movie and we're like, ah, oh, it was good. The trailer was incredible. Yeah. And then you watch it and you're like, yeah, it was pretty good. And it was profound. But I, I, the trailer kind of like set you up for something like, like some monolithic. Yeah. Mon- I just made up a word uh, kind of moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. Russ, I, I highly recommend uh, that you should watch this. Now it is. Uh, it's a lengthy two hours and fourteen minutes. I know. I was going to make a joke about a dime store novel turning into a fucking <laughs> three part Netflix and it's, film. Uh, <laughs> it's it's very talky, but uh, and I'm just saying. I like just uh, set the table. I like being confined in a room with characters in a relationship. That's what I do every day. But like you know, are, are you a fan of being John Malkovich yeah. adaptation? I think it's kind of quirky. But I mean, I think being John Malkovich is probably well, Eternal Sunshine too. They're kind of like uh, cute. Yeah. I'm not a huge Eternal Sunshine fan. Yeah, me either. Um, but I wouldn't put it past that dude to make a a bleak, uh, fun drama. Adaptation is one of my favorite films. I don't think I've seen it. Oh, Human Nature. We can't forget Human Nature. But anyway, uh, yeah, I highly recommend. Oh, he did Moral Oral. 
he wrote for that he wrote one oh hell he wrote yeah. the pilot then you know usually it means you get some money you do if you direct it maybe she wrote one. i don't know i don't know how <laughs> show this works that's why i do this show <laughs> all right uh so uh i i highly recommend i'm thinking of ending things i do not recommend irresistible oh. from writer director john stewart uh, came out this year. I watched it yesterday via Redbox. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but here's what I, I did want to bring this up. So, John Stewart, this is his second film that he's directed. I directed a 2014 film called Rosewater. Uh, I don't know anything much more past that. Okay. Um, this is a... This is a film for 50 to 70-year-olds. Okay. (laughs) Um, The comedy is... uh, It's very broad and very basic. Okay. Um, Just very standard hacky jokes of everything that you would think would happen in this movie. It does happen. So Steve Carell was a good cast. Steve Carell... (laughs) Steve Carell plays a strategist for the blue team. Uh-oh. Triggered! <laughs> Indeed. And Rose Byrne plays a strategist for the red team. Okay. The Republicans. It sounds like a fun movie. Um, essentially, do, should I spoil this? Here's what he does. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I, I came home and I saw a red box movie on the table. And I went, <laughs> what the fuck happened? There, there's a lot of people in this. We got Steve Carell, Rose Byrne, Chris Cooper, Will Sasso. Uh, we've got uh, Mackenzie Davis. Nice. Plays a big part in this. Topher Grace. Uh, what's uh, what's uh, the, the girl from uh, American Pie and the Lesbian Jail Show? I have no idea. Russian Doll. Oh, Natasha Leone. Natasha Leone yeah, is also Yeah, she was in, in that this. movie we watched last week, or a couple weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, she was. Yeah. Um, okay. Essentially, Chris Cooper plays a colonel in Wisconsin. Mackenzie Davis plays his daughter. Chris Cooper goes up in a town hall meeting. A viral video happens. Uh, of Chris Cooper defending um, illegal immigrants, I believe is what it was. And uh, political strategist played by Steve Carell sees this video. He's like, this is the future of the Democratic Party. He's a Democrat. He doesn't know it. We need his voice. Okay. And so he, I'm going to, and so he went, he flew to Wisconsin from D.C. and says, uh, I want you to be the mayor of this town. And we're going to help fund it. And we're going to help you get mayor. He said, okay, I'll do it. But you have to run my campaign. So then it turns into then a political zoo. Rose Byrne shows up for the Republican side. She says, I know what you're doing, and I'm going to support the other guy. And so the, all they're flooding all this money into this tiny town of 5,000 people in Wisconsin. And it turns into a circus. And then as we learn in the final act of the film, it was all a ruse done by the entire town to funnel in money from these campaigns oh. back into the town. You know what? Now here, I was going to I was going to talk about the idea of making a uh, moderate Republican come over to the Democratic side to try and like get, you know, the horse in control, uh, so to say. Yeah. But I like the idea of a small town. It's Robin Hood. Because uh, remember, yes. Robin Hood didn't steal from the rich, he stole from the government. 
And I am all about that. That is not the problem with this film. Okay. I'm just saying, <laughs> you, you struck a chord there. Small town For sure. getting money from the- no, In hey. fact, I was relieved when I was like, okay, this I'll, I can get behind this. Yeah. But the, the, the packaging of everything. Well, Steve Carell's on the cover. Again, this is the jokes for this is for 50-year-olds to go- <laughs> Like, what, give me one. Give me a boomer oh, joke. Oh, God. All right. So, uh, I mean, one, for example, is uh, voting day. And uh, they're just showing pockets of all the people that show up. Uh, BLM shows up. Uh, Antifa shows up. They've all got their handkerchiefs. Uh, there's a group of uh, young white men with their uh, shirts tucked in with tiki torches. And so it's just <laughs> like, oh, you remember this? You remember that? They're all oh. there. And it's just stuff like that the entire movie. And um, it's well, just the, the jokes are not, again, they're, they're for 55-year-old dads. I get it. And, you know, John Stewart, his strength was usually distilling a uh, hostile environment. Actually, back then it wasn't really hostile, but politics into a comedy medium. And I think a lot of people look to him for that. So I guess if you're a John Stewart fan, the execution could have been better on this because, okay, because yeah. I, I believe, I think John Stewart is an important political figure in America. I think we need John Stewart. I think it, eh. I, I did look, I, I don't always agree with him where he is politically, but I truly believe John Stewart cares about this country. And then oh, yeah, and what he true. says in, in the film is that, you know, look, both sides are messed up. Oh, yeah. And so uh, he is addressing very important things in this movie, but again, the packaging of it, I just wish could have been a little better and not so broad. And then the jokes in here, they go very crass, too, at times. Where there, uh, Rose Byrne says, that, you know, if I win this, you, you're going to eat. Whoever loses has to eat the other one's pussy out. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I didn't I, like I exactly that. said, ugh. I know. <laughs> Weird. It threw me off. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, I, I was like, why, why, what are we doing here? Also, uh, Natasha was in Modern Vampires. That's yes, the film. Oh, yeah. Ass Wang. Oh. Yeah, th thank you, Jack. <laughs> um, yeah, so Irresistible, not great. It's just... Uh, not quite irresistible. No, it's really not. <laughs> I mean, dude, it couldn't have sounded more like... Uh, like John Stewart, Steve Carell, and we're doing a political comedy. It's like, yeah, that's what I really want in the fourth quarter of 2020. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know, I was saying I don't know if we need John Stewart, not because uh, I disagree. You know, I don't agree with him all the time, but uh, I just think his medium has passed up. Like, I've gone over friend's house back in the day, and they had Comedy Central on, and they're watching John Stewart, and they're like, this is my political research. And I think it's just we're so well, he far. He changed the news. Yeah. No. Uh, and he, he changed the news. Um, he also uh, destroyed Crossfire. Oh, yeah. No. Did you ever see that when he was on Crossfire and he just dismantled it? He basically I've canceled only, that show. Yeah, I've only heard clips. That was great. Yeah. Um, I think it's, the whole thing's like 14 minutes long. You can see that. Um, this movie's an hour 40, which is too long. You know <laughs> what? It, I, I, I think it's right around where it should be. Really? They, yeah. They earned that 10 minutes? For that, I, I'm fine with it. Uh you know, but uh, again, now why the fuck did you red box it? Because <laughs> oh, cheaper than renting. Uh, true. Yeah. Were you just looking for the adventure? You're trying I, to be Eddie I Langelier? wanted to see it. I was, I was curious. You hop on the bus doing a podcast because this this was a twenty dollar <laughs> rental. This was a twenty dollar rental, and it, it because it fuck. was it just came out this summer. Oh, so it just went down to a seven dollar rental, but I got it for two at Redbox. What Redbox huh. did you go to? Uh, the Walgreens down the street. Oh, they have a red box. Uh -huh. I didn't even notice. 
Red Box there. Red Box at Lucky. There's Red Box. Everywhere. Again, if you want more awesome Red Box content, go listen to the Eddie Langelier episode where he talks about the Harry Potter movie. That uh, fantastic based on where to find it. <laughs> <laughs> Did the podcast well while uh, writing the bus to return the film. <laughs> <laughs> all right and then uh russ we're gonna close with yeah. uh the one film that uh, you saw and uh, we shared it together is um you know we uh F- fantasia came and went we were all very excited and then just boom those Dude, two weeks just happened just been busy and uh but we were able to watch uh a, a good portion of films and fantastic films uh films that i i think both you and i share uh, our favorite of the year um, yeah, a lot of good in, ones. in many respects. And uh, this one that we're about to, I know that uh, it, it hit closer to me than it did you. Um, I think it just worked for you. It, I will say this movie is beautiful, but like, again, it's kind of, you know, cool guy. Territory. And I don't know what this says about me, but th- well, this cool. is a, this is a movie I would make. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, I, I thought the execution was pitch perfect. I loved everything about it. Uh, the movie is Patrick, or in its original title, De Patrick, uh, from Belgium. <laughs> uh, director Tim Malance. Uh, sorry, Tim, for butchering your last name. Uh, the synopsis. A bereaved nudist campsite handyman. Randy, I'm going to read that again. <laughs> a bereaved nudist campsite handyman finds himself on an existential quest as he attempts to recover his missing favorite hammer. That is what this movie is. Right, Russ? Uh, you've got a death of a parent, and then you've got this. Yeah, you have you have very everyday problems in a very unique and uncomfortable setting, which they don't really talk about much. And I think that's what appealed to you. Yes. I. You know what it is? I love low stakes that are taken as high stakes. Oh, yeah. I love it. And that's... It's this was shot so beautifully. Mm-hmm. I loved the framing of everything, and again, the 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 film language of this just worked for the narrative of of Patrick's journey, trying to f- find his missing hammer, and us learning about the backstory of this missing hammer, and then uh, juxtaposed with the passing of his father, who runs this nudist campsite. Yeah, and obviously. You know, people are saying that Patrick's putting in all of this energy into the hammer because of the death of his father. He's not trying to deal with it. But Patrick, and again, you know, it doesn't really go into what Patrick's deal is. Patrick is, I would just say, uh, Leonard Skinner would describe him as a simple man. Yeah. Uh, Patrick is just, uh, he works at this uh, nudist campsite run by his father as the handyman. He never wears pants, only wears an open shirt. Yep. And um, he's a, he, everyone likes Patrick because he's a likable guy. He doesn't speak a whole lot. He gets the job done, and uh, he's a nice guy. Simple man. And he notices that his favorite hammer's missing. And it's just, w- w- we learn about all the other, uh, we learn about the interpolitics of a nudist campsite in Belgium. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, I, I think it's very interesting. Jermaine Clement shows up um, in, in a role that I think was just right. 
it wasn't too much and it was just enough. Don't you think? Because I think that he's really the no, only I'm recognizable about- face for a lot of us as, as Western audience. I'm about to spoil the movie. Don't spoil the movie. He doesn't get naked. He does not get naked. I was <laughs> I was a little bummed. This movie, it, With, it, I I didn't think he was going to get naked. I didn't think so either. I was rooting for He's him. He's covered by a guitar. I was rooting for him. I know. I I would have clapped. Now I'll tell you. Um, I think the reason this film works very. So in the interview, we talked to Charlie, who made a um a uh, slasher film that isn't trying to be elevated, but it's very technically well made. But the reason I think it's important and very good is because on the page, the script is so good and we have a lot of good character depth. Now he didn't write the barge people, which we talk about mostly, but if you go and look at winter skin, which is another movie that I watched this week that I kind of covered a lot in the interview. So I'm not going to bring it up here. You learn when a director and a writer are on the same page, pardon the, the pun, um, you really can get the perspective down. And this film did that. Like One of the things I don't like uh, in the, the phrase that I made up that I have a hard time articulating, um, cool guy movies, yeah. is that they, they really try and do a Tarantino, I love characters, you know, like TNT, where the characters are, or whatever the fuck their thing was. And they love them so much that we jump around all the time. And in this film, we don't, but the characters are still fucking good. So you're kind of following Patrick as he's on the hunt for maybe the least interesting thing in the movie. And we just keep coming in contact with all these people that you want on screen more, but they only show up, uh, you know, when it's like diegetic, when it's important to the script. And I think it really makes for a strong storytelling device. And I think the only thing that it didn't work for me incredibly is just the humor I think was so dry and I knew what they were doing. I don't know. It's it's just one of those things where it's like, I'm not a big alien guy. It is very dry. Uh, it's very European. Which I like. I, I like both those things. It, And again, it, it feels... The reason why I say it's Coen Brothers-esque, because A, I think that it's shot very much like a Coen Brothers oh, yeah, movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then B, the Coen Brothers writes... Uh, they write stupid people very well. Yeah. And I think that we've got the same thing here. Well, again, you're putting stupid as a title on them. I would argue that Patrick is one of the most competent people in that park. Yes. Yeah. Yes, for sure. I'm not Not to say that the other people are stupid or that the script even treats them as such because they're in a nudist colony. And they're in a protected place. Yeah. Because these these are all people that uh, this is their this is their Xanadu. And we, we learn about, um, you know, the, the, we, there's one scene where there's a lot of bickering going on about uh, getting mixed up with, uh, uh, they're at Site 37. I'm at yeah. Site 37. That's what they look forward to their entire year, is their summer. And this is their safe place. And they, they need comfort there in any sort of um, extenuating circumstances on that. They, they don't want to feel threatened. Yeah. so. And Patrick is a good extension of that, is that they feel safe with Patrick there. You know, that was a good scene. The one that I I think about a lot is just, you know, we're in the movie for a while, and there's a shot of Patrick going out to mend the fence that keeps their, like, uh, nudist border. And there's regular people walking by, fully clothed. Yeah. And it's just like, it's one of those things where there's no dialogue really there, but it's just their uh, visual interaction. is just so telling. And then, you know... 
the police get involved and when the outside world comes in it's like it's like the village but way more interesting yeah and uh, better made this film doesn't work without kevin jansen's who plays patrick um just unbelievable uh he's got a country look to him he's great not he's country fantastic. as in like you know the south but like old country and uh you or know, no country what he, the hell's the name of that movie no country for Old Men. i i forgot <laughs> the title because we have a mutual friend who just refers to that film as country, country. It's insane <laughs> he's an insane <laughs> he needs help so now all i'd call it is country it, it's ruined me uh but this uh this gentleman is uh, a belgium uh belgian actor uh Primarily uh, acts in uh, Belgian films. And uh, Randy, you may have recognized him from uh, the 2017 film Revenge. He was in that. Oh, okay. And actually, very handsome guy outside of uh, this movie. You can sort of tell. <laughs> handsome guy. But uh, You get to see what he's working with. I just, I love this movie. I think about the shot of the hammers all the time. I know you do. And um, Randy, at your earliest convenience... You must see now. Patrick. It is going. It's going to be on us. Like I know we tricked Fantasia, and they gave us you know the, the secret back door to sneak in and poke our head in. But we really, when these films come out, we really got to let people know because I feel bad like dedicating this much time to a film people can't watch. Yeah. So, but you can soon. Yeah. Well, I'll bookmark it. I'm making a note of when we cover things and when they come out. I'll, you know, also, share it. Kevin Jance is born on August twenty first. Just a few hours after your boy. So good job, Patrick. Leo. We're Leo <laughs> brothers, baby. All right. All right. That's the show. We did it. It's very hot. I'm sweating from every area I have. Same. Hey, we didn't go that long. I think Hour we're 17. Be, this is good. We're not doing three hours this week. This is good. <laughs> Which, you know, I'm kind of Still fond of two now. and a half. <laughs> You know, what are you going to do? And just just so you know, we cut content this week. I had more ready, but we're, we're trying to keep it um, slim. We don't want uh, Mickey to have to go to three times the speed to keep everything going. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> also, Scary Thoughts has a shirt out. Um, we've been trying to work on one ourselves. I don't know. What also, should we do? I want a mug. I've been telling you more mugs since day one. You've been telling me koozies, and we got one on the damn table. Yeah, I know. So that happened. We need to go new koozies. Nobody wants a fucking koozie. Randy, would you take another koozie? Yeah, I'd be down. Do you, yeah. Randy, do you use your koozie? Uh, I don't know if it made it with me from moving from San Francisco to Oakland. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Randy, that's so I haven't seen it in several years. But, fuck Randy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Thanks, Alberto. Okay. If we do koozies, can we do bottle koozies? Is that a thing? Yeah, it's a thing. Oh, God. You know, the thing is with koozies, we talked about this off air. I'm ready to cop out and just be like, hey, let's put an image up on a website and people can deal with it. I only refer to that as copying out because we have a closet full of merch from shit that we under promote and bring out of the closet like once a year. Koozies will end up right in there. Incorrect. I've got a new plan. Koozies will end up no, right in there. Koozies are going to mend this fractured nation. Also, we need to take the shit out of the closet so when Randy comes back, we can put him in there with a the camera. <laughs> I'll go in the closet. He, no, you wouldn't. All right. Enjoy our talk with Charlie. Great man. Uh, Russell did mention that he does hate Charlie, but once Charlie told us <laughs> that he was 26 years old. Also, I apologize now. I do that thing where uh, I was... I. 
became incredibly excited while talking to him. And um, it's weird. I, I mean, we call it an interview, but yet we try to do like a podcast conversation. Yet we're doing only audio over the internet. So it kind of, it's kind of like a jumble thing. Oh. Basically, I just end up talking at him. It's it's not like uh, Benson and Moorhead, though, so don't worry. It's definitely not like Benson and Moorhead. <laughs> yeah, you won't have to get antidepressants after this I one. did forget to mention, and we'll close with this, uh, Randy in Irresistible, uh, there is a audio Terry Gross cameo. <laughs> Tight. He, really? He plays fresh air in the car. All right, I'm going to watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It is one of the only uh, enjoyable moments I, I took from the film. <laughs> also, a uh, quick note before we throw it to the interview. More two-sentence horror stories. We're, we're getting a little low on them. If you want to not do them, I'm okay no, with that. No, come too. on. We're going we're gonna to keep Clark committed. Good luck with that. Hashtag. Hasn't keep happened Clark. for 34 years. <laughs> what do you do? We've been doing this show for four years. Yeah, and today may be the day. All right. <laughs> well, if you, right. if you don't come out of your room in an hour, I'll call the police. Thank you. Enjoy, Charlie, and uh, we'll see you for 2.11. Bye. Charlie, how are you, man? Uh, I'm Clark, host of the show. Nice to meet you. Very nice to meet you. Yeah, I'm doing very well, thank you. Very good. Charlie, where uh, where are you calling us from? I'm calling you from London, England. Oh, congratulations. How how are things in London <laughs> right now? Yeah, back it, it's back to normal, pretty much. Oh, well. Wow. <laughs> okay. Oh, fuck you, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where, where are you guys? Uh, we're in San Francisco. and uh, Wait, wait, just leave it there. Does that mean anything to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I know where it is, but I don't know how things are there. Okay. Well, yeah. it's the wor- <laughs> our world is literally on fire. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, it is wildfire season. So, Charlie, we legitimately, we don't have summer. We have fire season. <laughs> and so we are in the throes of fire season. Uh, the air is unfit to breathe, and uh, that's unfortunate, being that it is 95 degrees outside now. <laughs> and uh, none of the homes have central air in Northern California, because why? We have a Mediterranean climate. No need to have central air. Well, it's 95. We can't open the windows because we can't breathe in the fucking air. And also, there's still a global pandemic. So, uh, yes, and we also overpay for this apartment. Well, you free- yeah, the rent is high. <laughs> we had a uh, we had to be um, evacuated due to a um, near gas explosion. Oh, that's true. Right in front of our house. Right gas in front leak. of our house. Uh, we, we, we've got riots all up and down the coast. And um, yeah, and when it's humid out here, everybody's like, it's earthquake weather. So, you know, we're just waiting to <laughs> tip off 2020 with our house falling into the earth. So enjoy your fancy little <laughs> London. <laughs> well, I had no idea. Uh, I don't really watch the news, but I don't know if that's really being reported here, but here in London, it's cold. It's horrible. Oh, I'll take cold and horrible oh, any day, Charlie. I'll take it right now. I, is it foggy <laughs> over there right now? Is it what? Foggy? Uh, no, no, no. It, it would be down in Cornwall, which is where I do a lot of filming, because it's always foggy in Cornwall. But London doesn't get that foggy, really. Yeah, over here, I I come from Daly City, which is like 10 minutes out of San Francisco. That's the, cor- that's the Cornwall of the uh, Right? No, it really is. It, it looks like you're in the fog, the movie, all the time. It's just rolling. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, it, I don't know where it went. Because <laughs> it's not here anymore. <laughs> all right. All right, good deal. All right, well, uh, well, Russ, how, how did this whole So, thing- Charlie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a... Uh, Oh man, what do we even call Sam? Extended family. 
Yeah. He, uh, a regular listener to the show. He does writing for our website. And uh-huh. he, he covered a film uh, called The Barge People. And yep. he, he wrote about it. He put up a, an article. And that was the first that I'd actually heard of this movie. Mm-hmm. And um, he sold me on it. And, <laughs> you know, a um, non-pretentious, interesting slasher film was mm-hmm. particularly what I was in the mood for last week. <laughs> and um, I love it. And what really got me, though, was mm-hmm. the whole scope of your production company and the roles you take on on all these films. <laughs> I know with this yeah. one, you were a um, you directed and edited The Barge People, correct? Mm-hmm. Produced, yeah, correct, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you, yeah. And I just, and I wasn't planning on it, but right before we started recording, I checked out Winter Skin on Amazon uh-huh. Prime. Uh-huh. Oh, man, I love that movie. So oh, thank we're going to have to talk about that first. But I reached out to Sam prior to the interview, and I was like, hey, man, do you have any questions, anything you want to know? And he said, the, really, what I w- would like to know is the production. Like, mm. so w- are we talking a low budget here? Yeah, yeah, very low budget, very low. See, I don't believe you. Your film looks beautiful. <laughs> well, the thing is, people get really hung up on budget, but... It's, it, it, everyone these days can afford a camera and a bunch of lights. There's there's nothing that I had on the barge people that, you know, people didn't have making the Evil Dead or things like that. You know, so people use budget as a bit of an excuse. But if you want it to look like you know how the barge people looks, which you know it's clearly not Hollywood, it's not even you know mid budget horror. It is low budget, but there's there's a way you can still do that and make it enjoyable and entertaining for the audience and not look like complete garbage <laughs> dude and you achieve that for Thank sure you. and but again so i think you know h- horror films they deal with budget a lot because special effects are such a big part of it or mm-hmm. you know uh, uh, the way a lot of people will um deal with the low budget is one location now yeah, yeah. Y- you've kind of navigated both of those problems in incredibly clever ways um mm-hmm. So whenever, whenever I tell people about the barge people and I'm like, oh, you want a new film to watch? Go watch that. The first question I always get back is, well, what the hell's a barge? Can, can, <laughs> yeah. can you talk oh, a little Russell. bit? I'm not joking. I love barges. I, and see, but see, we, we are not privy uh, to these particular types of, of boating structures here in the U.S., which yeah, I, yeah. I, th- uh, th- this is a very, uh, you know, European uh, bar. <laughs> you know, we, we've got more of the uh, houseboat yeah, you know, uh, yacht situation. So how do you know about it? Because I'm a traveled man. You understand? Do they have any on the river that you grew up on? On the Mississippi River? Yeah. No. <laughs> that little thing. Uh, we've got little shanty shacks and houseboats. <laughs> and, uh, well, the Mississippi River is the most disgusting river in <laughs> civilization. Well, th- there's a good jumping off point. Um, Clark mentioned houseboats, and I actually went to one um, a week ago, and I was on there for um, an extended weekend. And the culture that, you know, I was living in while uh, afloat on the water seemed very different from the situation and culture of the barge vessel in your film. Is, is there mm-hmm. like, like renting barges? Is that like a normal thing that people do? It, it is a normal thing. <laughs> I've read some reviews of the film where people are saying, you know, if you can just suspend your disbelief <laughs> and imagine that people would actually do this <laughs> for a weekend. But it is a real thing that we actually do here. Um, I mean, first of all, in the film, there actually there are no is 
Um, they're narrow boats, um, but narrow boat people didn't sound as good as the barge people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's why. And also, it's like it's a misconception here. We call it we call them barges, even though they are actually narrow boats. Wow. Okay, I had no idea what a barge is. Then it's better. It's less syllables. It no, works. everybody who's asked me what is a barge, I'm like, oh, it's a narrow boat you take on a lake. <laughs> because see, it, yeah, here barges are are used to carry you know garbage and freight and yeah. stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, have barges did you grow up going on a just wider? Yeah. Now, did barges you, are like fat narrow boats. There we go. So, as a child, were you on barges a lot? Not a lot, but I did go on a weekend away on a narrow boat. Um, so I'd had that whole experience. So then when the script was sort of offered to me, um, I kind of connected with all of the different things in it of, um, uh, you know, all of the sort of discomfort of, because we do it for fun, but also it's not really a very comfortable weekend because you're in a tiny little boat and you're in the middle of the canal and the people that surround you can often be, you know, kind of scary, scary uh, people, although I shouldn't really say that because it's given <laughs> them a bad reputation. But, you know, there there are many, many, this is the thing that, uh, this is where the, the collision of sort of class culture comes yeah. in the film because you have on the canal, you have people who are doing it for a holiday uh, or a vacation. They're just, uh, they're just having a weekend away. Um, and then the other group of people on the canal are the people who live there. So if you imagine the types of people that live on these boats. The more disenfranchised you know, working class. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, Charlie, I mean, when so like I said, I went up to a houseboat. I think we drove three hours north in California. And when, when people think of California, they think of a, a really blue state, like really liberal. But, you know, if you go inland or north, it gets really red. And uh -huh. in the intro for last week's episode, uh, I was actually, like, kind of making fun of the culture shock. And, I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's not like, I mean, three hours north. If you go three hours north, you're, or south, you're almost in L.A. So it's mm -hmm. crazy. I mean, here in the Bay Area, if you're not wearing a mask, people will get very angry. And they will mm -hmm. put it upon you that you are a terrible human. You need to wear one. Yet I made a joke that when we went up north, um, Oksana, who's a writer on here, uh, sh she went into a store and said, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot my mask. And the response was, mm -hmm. oh, sweetie, uh, it's still a choice here, <laughs> which couldn't be mm -hmm. more controversial to like urban folk right now. <laughs> so watching your dude, it, it read true. And I, I was just <laughs> I was like, are they having like a political teardown over there, too, or something like <laughs> now? I don't. I don't want to steer this into politics a bunch. So I'm going to take the other channel. There was a lake joke. Oh, yeah, I know. There you go. Not necessarily a lake, but I okay. Got you. Controlled water. There we go. Joke. And um, let's, let's let's talk about your horror influences now. Yeah. When uh, the barge people comes up, first thing is always Texas Chainsaw, or the Hills Have Eyes. Me personally, I saw a lot of Wrong Turn in here. Uh -huh, um, uh -huh. what, what did you use as inspiration when approaching this film? Uh, the biggest inspiration, if I had to narrow it down to maybe three or four films, uh, is the Hills Have Eyes remake. Okay. Um, because I love that remake and the writer of the film loves that remake. And we kind of 
bonded right away over our love for the remake of The Hills Have Eyes. Superior um, film, it, for sure. It, yeah, it's, it's one of the few... Because what I love, as you can probably see from the barge people, is action horror, you know, I don't. I'm not that into horror all the time, where you have to wait until the last ten minutes for some sort of reveal, and then you finally get the horror. Like if you can have action and carnage from start to finish, then that's like the best type of horror, in my opinion. Um, and that's what the Hills of Eyes remake is: is an action movie with carnage. Um, and there's not that many horror films like it. Uh, From Dust Till Dawn is another one where it's like it's action focused rather than, you know, just taking ages to get to the good stuff. Um, so the Hills of Eyes remake, that's one. Uh, another one would be uh, the Australian film Long Weekend. Oh. Um, the whole way that Long Weekend is shot uh, because it's about this couple kind of at war with the nature around them so everything turns on them from the weather to just like trees and then animals um and the way the camera shoots all of the nature really influenced uh all of my ideas while i was making the barge people like anytime i could try and get you know this interaction with wind and rain and water or spiders or mud like i tried to get it in there as much as possible uh to make you really feel like you're with these characters out in the woods and out in the british cold uh, and misery um and then another film um probably stuff like uh, the evil dead 2 um just in terms of like there's a kind of cartoonish sort of silliness to everything and uh you know stuff like this barge blood green barge blood like spraying in people's faces and just the kind of crazy energy of some of the action sequences um and the fog as well i would say is another one just uh the fog just always inspires everything basically but in terms of like the lighting the color scheme blues and greens lots of smoke lots of nighttime uh the outdoorsy stuff uh the fog was a big influence when it came to the cinematography yeah i, I really got the fog reference too because mm. essentially what we're kind of doing is a home invasion film on a houseboat mm. with with kind of like entities that are carried around in the fog and was was now I have a really dumb question. Was that artificial fog or was any of that real? No, that was all artificial, yeah. Okay. It's a very dumb question. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was really hoping because you know, so as a fan of the horror genre and growing up in an area that we're just blanketed in fog like my whole life. And out here Colma, which um became a town known for all the graveyards in San Francisco being moved to, it was just like, why aren't I making a movie? And there would just be so much natural fog, like thick, like you couldn't see a foot in front of you. <laughs> and then, you know, I hear about London. And I'm like, oh, they're, they're a foggy town. And everybody compares our climate to theirs. And I was like, man, maybe he did it. Like, maybe you were over <laughs> there and you're just like, oh, it's natural, dude. I just got to use it. <laughs> but I was like, oh, London... I've lived in London for, I don't know, seven years or something, and I've never, ever seen fog in London in, oh. my, whole, in my whole seven years. I've never seen fog anywhere in London. Um, but as I say, in Cornwall, 
Yeah, they're uh, on Bodmin Moor, which is not so far from where I shoot a lot of my films and where I shoot the barge, where I shot the barge people. Um, Bodmin Moor is like just the creepiest place in the whole country, and it is it's this big moor that is uh, all the trees on it are all crooked and they they look like they've come out of a gothic horror film. Everything that grows on the moor is uh, deformed in some way, and it is constantly all year round, every day, thick with fog. Um, and uh, there's obviously loads of legends of the beast of Bodmin Moor and all these types of things. I don't know if there's a film about it, but uh, there should be. <laughs> Russ just pulled up pictures of uh, of that on the uh, screen here. Look, Russ, you look, you look like uh, you're looking at home right here. Kind of. <laughs> there's a lot of interesting stone formations out here, too. Yeah. Beast of Bodmin Moor. Yeah, that's the third image that comes up. I don't see a beast in here, though. Is the beast is within? <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean that title. It sounds like a title of a film that you could have potentially made. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, Charlie, honestly, the the canon of work that you've created, I'm surprised that I'm just now hearing about you. you <laughs> what we have: Escape from Cannibal Farm, The Barge People, <laughs> The House of Violent Desire, Winter Skin, and English Haunting, Vampire Virus. Have is. What the hell? Prolific. <laughs> I'm like, it just, it, it's crazy. And you've got a couple of films on Amazon Prime, which is my hunting ground. <laughs> I, I love it out there. Now, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and use that as a segue. All right. Well, I, I do want to mention one thing uh, if you're closing up on Barge People. I don't know. It's a flowing conversation. I, <laughs> I just want to know, um, were there any challenges that you had while, while shooting on the water? Yeah. Um... Well, the the whole film itself was a challenge, but just because we were just at the mercy of nature. Um, and uh, if I start off with just talking about the water, it was, it was difficult because, for example, the first challenge is if you're filming uh, the barge or the narrowboat uh, sailing past uh, a certain thing, so you're trying to get different angles, uh, you'd, go, you'd go past it, but then to turn to turn a narrow boat around, you can't just you can't just sort of reverse it and turn it around. You you might have to sail a mile or two miles, which could take over an hour, to a turning point where you can then turn around and go back the way you came, to then get the shot of you know going going past the same thing. So you kind of had to be really careful with the planning. Um, of uh, what point you were trying to do. So, for example, there's a there's a moment where they crash into another another boat, right? Um, and then have like an interaction with the characters. Well, we could only shoot that once as we passed by them. So it was like that that was it. You could I think we got two angles because I think we sort of we were able to do it two times. Um, but even that would just, you know, it would take ages to turn the boat around. Um, aside from that, we're dropping equipment into the water um, and sort of losing it forever. So you had to, you know, ju just just filming a scene with people sat and acting on the actual barge. You're you're working on this tiny, tiny little platform, and over the edge of the platform is water. Um, so it was just difficult just to actually keep everyone 
on the boat without them falling off and yeah we dropped stuff over and lost bits of equipment over the edge um also with everyone uh, with the camera and reflectors and all this sort of stuff all uh, set up in front of the actors the actors had no idea where they were actually steering the boat so we'd always end up crashing into stuff and uh, ending up you know uh, stuck in some bushes or something like that because uh, they were completely blind they didn't know where they were actually steering the whole time um, and the other thing is uh, the people like I said I don't want to give a bad name to the people that live on the canal but <laughs> we were constantly being harassed by the people who live on the canal it was it was essentially the same as what you see in the movie because we were you know the filmmakers from the city invading the canal um and all these locals didn't want us there and uh we got shouted at and uh told to always getting told to slow down and uh <laughs> being told off for things um and in fact when we shot the scene where they crash into the other uh people who live on the canal the sort of like rougher characters and they have that argument while while they were acting the argument saying oh prick you hit my boat blah 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 other locals from the nearby boats started getting out and saying fucking look what you're doing on the canal you fucking <laughs> you know started telling us off so like it was like it was like we lived out the actual situation right um and then I made the actors sleep on the boat as well because you save money on accommodation then. Um, so <laughs> all the actors had to spend the night uh, moored up in a sort of gloomy, sewage-smelling part of the canal. <laughs> how, how long did you rent the boat for? We only had the boat for about four or five days. Mm. And then the other thing, which maybe you, you don't realize when you watch the film, hopefully not, is that the interior of the boat is all a set. So we yeah. built that from scratch. Uh, it's only the exterior of the boat that is actually a boat. And then the interior is all in a soundstage. Nice. Yeah. No, I think that's where my... Um disconnect with your film is it's like it's low budget yet i it's like i don't want to believe you because a lot of this stuff looks so beautifully built like clearly mm. you you have a talent and an eye as a director and thank you you know playing in this genre that doesn't get a lot of respect unless a24 is putting out a film it's <laughs> it's really refreshing to see that you know essentially throwaway characters in a slasher film are really given some weight like I've I've seen two of your films now, and the thing I'm most taken aback by is just how much love and emotion run through these characters to the end. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now I, I noticed you didn't write the barge people. Is is that no? Is that common for you? Um, I'm only familiar with two other films that you directed, wrote, and edited. So I imagined you were yeah. a, a tyrant uh, on set, but. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else that I've done, apart from the barge people, I wrote myself. Um, writing's my favorite part of the whole process, and it's what I really love to do. Um, but the barge people, um, it was basically, it was offered to me because um, my first horror movie, Escape from Cannibal Farm, the lead actress was friends with the writer of the barge people, and he'd written the part that she ended up playing in the barge people, the lead character, Kat, 
that was written for her specifically. So when we were filming Escape from Cannibal Farm, she you know, just sort of saw what we were doing on set and we were trying to do this sort of Texas Chainsaw Massacre-inspired type of style. Um, and she just, it reminded her that, you know, maybe maybe I would be a good fit for this Barge People script. So I agreed to read the script. And um, once I read it, I just, uh, I wouldn't usually take on somebody else's script, but just everything, even from just the title, The Barge People, made me just think this is the type of film that I would have, you know, rented on video when I was a kid and I would have had a great time watching it. You know, it's not, it's not going to be an Academy Award winner in terms of its characters and drama. You know, it's a total trash B movie, but uh, I want to see it made and I want to be the one who does it, you know? So now are, are you a Ryan Murphy fan? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I you know I got that, and mm-hmm. you know Ryan Murphy does a lot of interesting genre play. Like mm-hmm. he'll take a wide scope of horror and he'll mix uh-huh. a lot. Like one of my favorite things is um, American Horror Story season two, where we're uh-huh. we're uh-huh. doing an asylum, but there's aliens and there's a mad scientist and there's a mm-hmm. slasher. The, my only problem with Ryan Murphy is I think a lot of it is. Um, it's very of the time. Like, it's got that Gilmore Girls wit to it. Like, there's a lot of mm-hmm. style that comes in, mm-hmm. too, that I think people can either um, appreciate or be turned off by. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like you're, like, you as an auteur or maybe even just a writer, you manage to do a similar thing, but it's mm-hmm. not distracting. And mm-hmm. is that something you're cognitive of? Like, are you trying to play with, like, slasher tropes, but in a smart, like I'm avoiding the cliche of a survivor girl, but it's still there. Yeah. When it comes to my writing, I mean, it's interesting. You mentioned American horror story because it is definitely a big influence on my writing because I mean, my, my biggest inspiration as a, as a writer, like my influence is really Stephen King stories. Um, because I love how Stephen King really puts the focus on the characters and the character and the theme that is the most important part of the horror film. And then on top of that, you can then play with style, which I guess is what uh, Ryan Murphy's doing with, let's say like Asylum or Freak Show. It's like you embrace uh, the style of a certain subgenre of horror. Um, and then you sort of play around with all the tropes. So I, I definitely like to do that. And one of the things I like to do between my movies is instead of just making horror films that are similar to each other again and again, I try my best to, while still sort of carrying over my own style, just sort of explore a whole range of totally different subgenres. So uh, after the barge people, I shot winter skin, which is, it kind of couldn't be more different in style because it's set uh, out in the snow and it's in a old cabin and like, you know, it's just, it's totally different. And then after winter skin, I shot an English haunting, which is like a sort of very elegant haunted house movie in a big haunted mansion. So, I mean, that couldn't be any more different from the sort of, rough VHS vibes of the barge people. So I really like to embrace uh, the totally different styles of horror. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really taken by your writing. Um, l- like I mentioned, I just got done watching um, winter skin mm-hmm. and I, I 
Now, this film's on Amazon Prime, so anybody who's questioning maybe Charlie Steeds is a weirdo or something, you don't know if you want to watch his films, <laughs> do me a favor and, and check out Winter Skin. I, I think everybody will be hooked. And I don't want to talk a lot about it, because your writing is so welcoming to the horror community, mm-hmm. yet I found myself unsure of where we were going, which is unusual. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, are, are you an Amazon Prime fan? Uh, yeah, sort of. I watch stuff on it. Okay, like, I like to, like, dig into, like, a bunch of weird titles I've never seen on there. They have that They open... have good stuff. They have really good stuff. Yeah, and a lot of stuff that people aren't talking about. And mm-hmm. there is, like, a million throwaway slasher movies on there. And mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of, uh, anybody who would call themselves a horror fan, at one time or another was really into that subgenre. Mm-hmm. And I think we're all burned out. It's just there's, yeah, yeah. there's a there's not a lot to offer, and you know you, you watch something like the Barge People, and it's like oh, how how is something so familiar yet completely new feeling? And with Winter Skin, I I'll pitch this movie as um, oh man, let's see, uh, a misery in the woods, <laughs> kind of. There's really no perfect way to put it. I got but misery vibes. For sure. Now, yeah. Now, it's not misery to a T by any standard, sure. but, uh, dude, I was so taken by Winter Skin that it's distracting me right now. And, <laughs> and I'm debating if I should talk about it or not. I'm so glad that you that you enjoyed Winter Skin because, you know, it, that's a truly, uh, it's, it's undiscovered. Nobody watches it. Nobody sort of talks to me about it. Um, you know, it was it was fully funded by uh, the company that distributed it. But they've all they've done is they've put it out in America. Uh, there wasn't really very much press. And that's it. They've not even they've well, I say I say they've not bothered to put it out anywhere else, but they've not managed to put it out in any other countries. So in some ways, you know, it kind of feels like a bit of a lost project of mine that I worked on for months and months. And again, uh, you know, we were talking about the barge uh, that we built the boat as a set. Well, we built that cabin oh, as no a set. Way. The, the entire cabin, uh, floor to ceiling, everything. I painted it. Uh, I chose every bit of furniture, I designed it, uh, and built the whole thing. And also, we built it raised a couple of feet off the ground so that we could get underneath into the trap door and stuff like that. So, so much effort goes into these things, and then uh, the hardest part is always getting people to actually watch them. So, I'm glad that you (laughs) watched it and enjoyed it. Well, Charlie, the thing is... Uh, I'm self-aware as an Amazon Prime fan, and I not I re- in real life, but I, I know <laughs> not in real life, but as a horror film goer, uh, I am. And I realize that a lot of the culture there is one of fans who who watch Amazon Prime, they tend mm-hmm. to throw on a movie based on a cover, and then mm-hmm. it will just kind of play. And I don't mm-hmm. think people are used to really engaging with the film in like a, a deep way because they're like, yeah. eh, it's Amazon Prime. What are we doing? Yet <laughs> your film is one of them. Where it kind of de- there's a lot of nuance in your storytelling, and mm-hmm. my my favorite thing that I've seen in your directing and editing is a a seriousness to a genre that's kind of been uh, thrown back, but also mm-hmm. a strong humor. You've got a lot mm-hmm. of really good humor in there, and I'm and it, it even comes out in your gore effects in Winterskin. Um, there's a great 
I'm not going to ruin anything. There's realistic cadavers and uh, gore, yet we're kind of juxtaposed with a Tarantino blood spray. <laughs> so, in one note, you're you're not taking you're you're not saying this is a comedy and uh you know don't respect it, but you're over here and you're also saying you know I'm not trying to like traumatize people and we are having fun, and like mm. where does that come from? Like, are you a, are you a funny guy? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know but with when it comes to films the thing is people you say horror film and people think you know they're they're really just going to watch the film to be scared but that's actually one of the one of the one of the least common things that i sort of go for when i make horror films is to try and scare people i want to make people i just want to give people a good time i want them to laugh at times i want them to be shocked at times i want them to have fun you know i want them to be uh sort of tense like i, I want to have all of it so i want to have nice happy scenes in my horror films and then i want to have really dark and miserable scenes and funny scenes and shocking scenes so that i can it's basically all about just giving the audience a good time which i think so many what you're talking about with uh people making sort of repetitive slasher low budget horror i think a lot of people go into horror filmmaking thinking oh this will be easy enough you know like i'm sure i can you know i'm a horror fan i can probably make a half decent slasher movie um and it kind of it's filmmaking that serves the filmmakers interests you know it's it's a project that where they're indulging themselves but with everything i do i'm i'm always trying to think in the back of my head okay imagine i'm a i'm a viewer watching this for the first time and you know I have a duty as a writer director to entertain you, uh, which is all filmmaking is at the end of day at the end of the day. But uh, people forget that for some reason. Um, and I try not to, you know, I, a lot of what you said, I think is echoed through a lot of horror directors and filmmakers where, you know, they want to entertain and they like horror because it offers a lot of different avenues. You get drama and mm -hmm. scares. And the difference again is the characters I think people, you know, they revisit a slasher and they're like, oh, we got to have a guy warn people of the death curse. Mm -hmm, and it's mm -hmm. not that your film doesn't have that. And it's not that <laughs> yeah. secondary characters aren't like, they're, it's not like they're elevated and they mean more. But it's like there's a genuine humor with some people. And then we mm -hmm. go back to our main characters who are like, they're in the thick of it. And, mm -hmm. and we're not pulling punches at any point. And by the end of the film, you've earned everything in, in mm -hmm. the whole rainbow of every genre. It feels fucking earned. And <laughs> and your film, which, I, again, I, I wrote down the influences I thought you had for Winter Scan. Uh -huh. uh -huh. And I put down... Oh, let me find my notes. I put down... Um, I, I got a lot of Peter Jackson out of there. I definitely mm -hmm. got Sam Raimi with um, Evil Dead. Mm -hmm. and, yep. and then Stephen King, for sure. And mm -hmm. I'm like, it's really hard to, mend, like, to meld those together. And... Mm -hmm. Dude, it felt natural and earned by the end of it, and I and yeah. and I, I'm I'm curious now. We run a film fest. Here, here's the casual plug we do in every episode, and uh, it's a it's a little thing, but we only deal with found footage horror movies, and mm -hmm. and we talk about the camera language and how it's a character, and we talk to a lot of the directors on our show, and one of the things that's completely different from other horror films is that a lot of most of them edit their movie. Uh -huh. So I was...
I'm curious, do you think that has a big impact that you're also the editor on all these films? Uh, it probably, I, I think, I mean, I, I look at it as I'm quite lucky with my films in that usually I come up with the idea, I write them, I do, I have a huge hand in the production design and, you know, every little detail and even the lighting, because I write into my scripts how it should be lit. I'll, I'll write, you know, where the light sources are coming from, because I have a clear idea of like how I want things to look. Um, and then I direct them and then I edit them. And so, and, and also none of my films have ever been interfered with in either a script level or editing. It's always been my first and final cut. Um, so just the, just that I've been able to deliver purely the film as I want to from my mind for better or worse, uh, has been like quite an interesting thing really. Now, do you do a lot of heavy storyboarding? Uh, no, no, I don't. That's good. One of the things I've always thought about. You anti-storyboarding? No, uh, storyboarding <laughs> seems like the um, the one thing that will prevent me from ever doing anything. I, I, I agree with you on. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, I have the idea. I know if I, if I really push myself, I could write a script. And I, th- I have a vision. But I'm like, God, if it came down to drawing frames so I could... Make it an art project. Yeah, and I'm not talented. Yeah. So... <laughs> It would it would be a mess, and I love hearing that you you clearly have a vision and you know what you're mm. doing, and I mean the the proof is in the pudding. Y- your films mm. look beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I don't. I'm, I'm a huge fan. But, you know, Charlie. You know, uh, you know, we talk about you know your your body of work and that uh, you know you've covered a lot of different uh, subgenres within horror. Is there anything that you haven't uh, gotten into or something you're working on? Oh yeah, so many things. I mean, I'm I'm kind of cursed by that. I come up with ideas for horror films just all the time. Uh, and during lockdown, um, basically at the start of lockdown, I got the funding through for my next movie. But it was totally up to me what I want to do, which is actually quite a rare thing. I mean, nowadays when I get a when I get a film project, usually people are now coming to me and they say we want you to make a werewolf movie or we want you to make a vampire movie. So I don't actually get to choose very often anymore what I actually make. Um, But then I get allowed creative freedom to do, okay, it has to be a werewolf film, but I can do whatever I want. Um, So that's, that's good freedom. But um, when it, when it comes down to, uh, when it comes down to like, uh coming up with ideas um and having this ability to do this project that uh i can decide whatever i want uh i came up with maybe like 20 different film ideas in the <laughs> lockdown so there's there's always subgenres as long as there's subgenres out there that i've not done yet I, i'll probably end up doing all of them at some point but um the one that the one and it relates to the barge people actually um the one that I always come back to is I'm a big HP Lovecraft fan and I'm a huge, huge fish monster fan. Oh yeah. Um, 
And there's no film, well, there's no really good film or definitive horror film that is really a sort of shadow over Innsmouth type Lovecraftian fish monster horror. You know, they're really, we don't get fish monsters very much. Fish monsters should be their own genre. I know we have sort of like aquatic horror, but where's the, you know, you have Creature from the Black Lagoon, but where's all the Gilman horror films? Um, so, uh, you know, one thing as well about the Barge people is when I when I got the script, it had no fish people in it. Um, the Barge people were just, uh, they were just, they were, it was like the Hills Have Eyes. They were sort of like feral backwards, countryside, yeah. backwards people. They were, they had nothing to do with fish monsters or mutants of any kind. Um, so that was the only major change I really wanted to make to the script before I agreed to direct it, which was uh, I wanted them to be fish monsters. Um, but then they kind of have sort of fallen in the middle because although they've got fish faces, they have human bodies and human clothes, which is because in the script they were originally human. So I've, I've made them fish men just enough uh, to get my fishmen in there, but I really feel like there's a good fishman horror movie that I've yet to make um, that I need to do soon. Wow, I can't, dude. The fishmen make that movie. If <laughs> if it were just kind of like barge redneck pirate people, I don't know yeah. if it would have the same impact. Yeah. So yeah, we've been here before. Yeah, and <laughs> you know, I mentioned Wrong Turn. Because the thing about Wrong Turn was the first one, uh, it wasn't a great film. It's it's strong. But the thing that stands out for like horror franchise fans or even slasher is just each member of that family had a clear personality and backstory. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even though they're kind of entities of one whole, uh, it's like, oh, what was it? Six Finger? Or it's, I don't know. They're, they're mm-hmm. all... They, they give the impression that they could live off screen. And with the barge mm-hmm. people, dude, you, you nailed that too. I mean, in, in my head, I know um, there's a brief mention of like chemicals in the water. And uh-huh. uh, it's like, oh, maybe they're mutants. I always thought that the barge people were slave to actual fishmen. And it's like, oh, they murder people and the, you know, they start eating them right there because they don't actually get to feed very often. And they mostly uh-huh. just bring the corpses back to whoever they're working for or whoever had <laughs> mutated them. Uh-huh. So, so you've kind of, just by making them fish people, I mean, even one of them's arguably a rat. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, you, you've given them, um, you've given the audience a chance to use their imagination and really project on these characters. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. So yeah. How come I don't, I don't, I don't want to ask that question. Where, where did you get so talented? Are you college educated? Did you go to film school? <laughs> um, so basically, yeah, I did. I did go to film school here in London, but I didn't learn a huge amount from <laughs> film school. I, I spent most of the time just arguing with my teachers um, because, you know, they're trying to sort of teach me stuff. And I'm, I've just, I'm always in the mindset of just, I want to try things my way. You know, they might work, they might not work, but I'll, I'll sort of learn from them. But, um, like what, like, was, can you give me an example of an argument? I'm re- very curious. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, there was, so there was a, at film school, I'll try to keep the story short, but there was a, 
there was a project basically at the end of your graduation um just before you graduate you have your final project which in this case was a feature film that the whole year group had to make but you only could nominate one person to direct it so all of your fellow students had to get up and sort of you know uh pitch that oh why you would God. have them direct um and then you all had to vote so anyway i got chosen to direct the film congratulations um, <laughs> Thank you. And, and, um, and, then, and actually, they they gave us a budget of fifteen thousand pounds, which wow. for film school is is it's a fair amount of money. Like yeah. you could pull off you could pull off an indie film uh, for that amount of money, and it not be terrible. But I mean, um, let's be honest, Charlie, that's your money. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, but um, so anyway, the tutor. There was a scene in the film where uh there was like a nightmare sequence where the main character he 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 dreams that he's raping his daughter and then also his and then the daughter turns to his wife and then the wife turns to his psychiatrist and it's like a trippy david lynch sequence where the actual tutor who was completely psychopathic he decided that this scene needed to be in the film so he added this rape sequence into the film so i would explain to all the actresses look i know it's a sensitive scene uh let's let's just you know let's talk to each other let's communicate let's make sure that we just rehearse and we take it slowly and we're all comfortable and if anyone's uncomfortable they just let me know and i can take you off set we'll have a break we'll discuss it like let's just be chill about it because my directing style i'm i'm very relaxed i'm very chilled out like no actor could possibly be intimidated by me because i'm just me you know i'm, I'm only 26 years old i'm just a i'm just a friendly chilled out guy um but anyway when we got onto the set the tutor who was sort of like overseeing the uh the project he he was i don't know like maybe he was just getting off on the fact that his rape scene that he'd imagined was finally coming to life but he said no we don't need any rehearsal we don't need like, let's just do it oh. let's do it all in one take we'll just keep the cameras rolling and we can do like one 20 minute long take and he was you know getting up in the actress's faces and sort of acting it out and thrusting his hips and calling it the fucking scene and saying thrust and literally shouting from behind the camera thrust 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 and (laughs) this just went on and on and on and anyway when we finished on that day of filming i said to the producers who were like just other students basically i was like if that man if that tutor is not gone tomorrow uh, like i'm not directing any of this thing and we'd also made a pact that the producers would also agree to not carry on if this because we knew this guy was crazy so we this was the film teachers they were just crazy people uh i don't know why but at this film school the teachers, they just, they wanted to have their own, they had their film careers that didn't go to plan. And now that people like me were coming up through the school, they they sort of, I don't know, they were kind of, they, they just wanted to sort of sabotage us. Did you um, get taught by Uwe Boll? <laughs> <laughs> Who 
<laughs> no, I mean, you, you know, this isn't the first time I've heard that where, you know, the academic approach is, you know, you go to school for four years, you get a degree, and then you're primed and ready to go right into working. And it's like, so many filmmakers, especially horror filmmakers, is like, it doesn't work that way. And yeah. all the money I used and all the time I spent, I could have been out making something, building connections, and you know, getting real experience. Exactly. And a lot of the people that go to school, and they end, they exit with the degree, and then f- fail on the platform, you know, <laughs> you turn right back around and become a teacher. And I see, like, Charlie... Also, I fucking hate you. You're 26 <laughs> years old. You've almost made 10 features now? Yeah. God damn it. And uh, on top of that, you sound like a cool guy. Like, it would be very easy to work on set with you. And then you, <laughs> ha- you have this teacher. He probably hated you, too. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, fuck you. We're going to be thrusting in this scene. <laughs> Got Larry Clark over there. Well, dude, it reminds me. Uh, are you an anime guy, Charlie? No, no, unfortunately not. Congratulations. Oh, yeah, there you go. Your choice. There's, there's a movie called Perfect Blue. I'll recommend that. It's um, an actual film. It's not an OVA. It's not part of a 30-episode show. And, uh, I've heard of this. i yeah, yeah. Are you, you going to talk about how Aronofsky ripped off? Yeah, Aronofsky. No, I wasn't going to bring that up. Shatoshi Khan is a director who managed to use the medium in a very film way. Like, the movie deals with a lot of duality themes. Like, I'll defend Perfect Blue to death. Anyway, there's a scene in it where a pop star is being raped on set uh, for a TV show. It's like a uh, procedural. And mm-hmm. instantly, that's what I thought of because people are just like, go, go, like thrust. And yeah, I just took this opportunity to talk about. <laughs> Charlie, dude, you I'm so excited to watch your career. You you're clearly making movies just for me. They're exactly <laughs> what I want from from films. Um I know the Barge People's available on Blu-ray, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Actually, I, I know. Oksana ordered one like a week ago. It should be here. Um, now, are you doing self-distribution or uh, Raven's Banner? Are you are you with them now? Yeah, so with the Barge People, um, uh, it's with Raven Banner. They're our sales agent, and uh, RLJE put it out on mm. Blu-ray and DVD and VOD. Um, and then it's coming to sort of other countries. But yeah, uh, that's basically how it's been with the Barge people. But every film I do is is different, gets different distribution. We've been lucky with the Barge people because I think that's probably our sort of best and widest release, you know, compared to something like Winterskin, which is just sort of lost in Amazon Prime. Uh, you know, so I guess that's why... Uh, people hopefully will finally hear about these movies that I'm making. Yeah, you, you won't have to slum it for long on podcasts like these. You've, you've, got, <laughs> you've, got, you've got real talent. And uh, believe me, I'm going to be pushing Winterskin for sure. I I genuinely love that film. And I wish you hadn't walked in halfway, Clark. Because I think, yeah. Well, if you would have an extended <laughs> a invitation, well, I, I know I, you were watching a film. I started it last night at 2 a.m. I didn't think. <laughs> Good call. Yeah. <laughs> no, so... What the hell? Okay, so RLJ, RLJE, they normally hit us up with films, and uh, we we I thought we had a good relationship. How are y'all <laughs> keeping the barge people from me? What the fuck? <laughs> that I'm talking to you, RLJE. Um, fuck, Charlie. Uh, how much time are we doing here? 
I'm I'm sorry. I get manic whenever I really like somebody's Be- work. Before we cut Charlie loose, I, I do want to know about. Um, now sure. it's an ongoing debate here. Um, now I have slowly uh, started to to change my tune a little bit about vampires in general. Okay. Uh, <laughs> for the most part, I, I find vampires to be stuffy and boring, and I'm not a big fan. Um, however, and I will it, it still. I will always choose werewolves over vampires. Yeah, me too. Um, so I, I know that yeah, th- these are two upcoming films uh, that you've got out. So tell me a little bit about uh, A Werewolf in England. Yeah, so A Werewolf in England. I mean, this the good thing is, right, you guys have watched The Barge People and Winter Skin, but I shot, I shot The Barge People in 2017. Uh, and then I shot Winter Skin a couple of months after, and it was only sort of after those films that I personally feel like my films started to get to a stage where they were watchable by the public, in and, and I could be proud of them. Um, so by the time you get around to watching A Werewolf in England, which is my latest film, hopefully you'll really enjoy it, if you enjoyed my other stuff. Um, but basically uh this company they approached me they said do you want to make a movie with us and i said what are we going to do and they said let's have werewolves and i gave them um i basically gave them three ideas whether we could do werewolves set in the victorian period werewolves set in the snow and have them like with white fur and be like a bit like the thing but with werewolves um or we could do a post-apocalyptic future with werewolves with machine guns <laughs> in sort of armor and stuff, which they hated that idea. So anyway, they went <laughs> with the Victorian idea. Um, so then I came up with this uh, this uh, story, which is about um, uh, it's about a parish councillor who's trying to escort a criminal uh, to a court trial, but as he travels through the woods by horse and carriage. Um, they get caught up in a storm and they have to uh, spend the night in this creepy old inn with some very creepy uh, innskeepers who may or may not be feeding all their guests to the werewolves that live in the local woods. But it's uh, we were talking about sort of my humour. A werewolf in England is pure comedy all the way through. Oh. Like, it's a comedy. It's, it, it's meant to make you laugh every line. Um, the werewolves the werewolves take a shit on the characters heads uh, and it goes on for like a minute it goes on for way too long because uh, we were just having so much fun pouring saucepans of uh, melted chocolate and stuff over our actors <laughs> so it's got all sorts of like bonkers stuff there's a werewolf with an eye patch there's a werewolf in a dress uh, because a prostitute transforms into a werewolf and the man with the eye patch transforms into the werewolf. Uh, these are spoilers, but, um, <laughs> Art, you know, but, you, I was wondering the way to contextualize a film like yours is yeah, technically that would be a spoiler, but your writing is so fresh that I, I bet there's a ton of other stuff that's going to come up that. Yeah. 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 There is. And <laughs> so who, who influenced this film? Um, mm, that's a good question. Um, I'm kind of not entirely sure. Like, I know oh, I've already mentioned it. it, but I would again say Evil Dead 2, mm-hmm. because this film is so ridiculous in terms of what happens 
the amount of blood and gore. Um, you know, a werewolf gets his arm chopped off and the arm comes to life and the severed wolf arm sort of menaces people for the rest of the film, basically. The severed, the severed wolf arm gets up to more mischief and causes more damage than the actual full werewolf. Um, but uh, so, yeah, definitely Evil Dead 2. Um, my uh, filmmaker friend of mine described it as the Hateful Eight meets Evil Dead 2 with werewolves. And that's kind of quite a good sort of summary of the style of the movie, but it's very camp and theatrical and over the top. Uh, all my films and my filmmaking style is inspired by Italian filmmakers like Mario Bava and yeah. Lucio Fulci. So you can see all of that with the cuttered lights and the eyeballs getting ripped out and all this sort of stuff. Uh, so that's basically uh, where I was going with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Inta the Italian horror definitely comes through in the lighting, and also mm. you, you've got some Clive Barker in the Barge People too. Mm. They definitely yeah. take on like a Cenobite role. Mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah. Yet no nothing you do feels derivative. It's just like little little touches here and there. Mm -hmm. Now. Uh, I was tempted to go into a story about how a severed troll arm wrecked a D&D &D party I was in, but I'll, I'll steer away from that. Thanks, because I didn't get a great night of <laughs> sleep last night, and uh, I would have caught yeah, up with that story. No, it was horrifying. It was terrible. <laughs> now, are there any other werewolf films you were looking at, like um, Dog Soldiers or anything? Late like, Phases? As far, oh, dude, Late Phases is so good. As far as werewolf design, also, anybody listening near a computer, go on IMDb. Look up a werewolf in England and now go through the photos available. This does not look like a fucking comedy. And I think this is a perfect <laughs> way to illustrate the the range of emotions in Charlie's films. It looks like, first off, the first thing you know is that the werewolf doesn't look cheap. So, no. yeah, power to you there, because that's if a werewolf looks terrible in these movies, it's over. But on top of that, <laughs> yeah. it looks fucking good i mean when we're talking about a victorian era horror film that always makes me a little worried like i yeah 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 a lot of people seem to to mess up the period piece thing but now when, mm -hmm. when we put it in comedy del toro <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave that there yeah i'm not gonna name names <laughs> now did now in the future when you're discovered and everybody hears this podcast and they're like my god we got to give charlie a hundred million dollars and and they're begging you to make a uh, a vampire movie for Marvel. Mm. Would it be a deal breaker for you if you didn't have complete control? Like, what if somebody just wanted to gut your script? No, that that would be okay. Um, but basically, I I don't I really don't want to go into any movie um, without. I mean, I have to fully believe in the script. I mean, like I say, writing is my passion, so. It's really the script and the characters. That's what I'm there for. And, you know, I, I'm not a very, I'm actually not a very technical filmmaker. Like my understanding of cameras and things like that, I'm really not that good with. Um, and also like uh, my filmmaker friends, they could show me these amazing shots on this new camera and it looks so beautiful and 4K and whatever. But I, I'm a guy who loves Lucio Fulci movies, uh, so I'm happy to be watching them on VHS, and I still think they look 
beautiful um so really i'm not impressed by uh, all of the fancy sort of technical stuff um so yeah characters and and the story that's as long as that's all there um you know then i'm fine and other people they may well come up with uh stories and characters that are more clever than mine um and in fact the more you do collaborate with other people and sort of listen to their own experiences and their take on certain things and certain roles uh the more sort of depth you give to your characters anyway so i'm open to it it's beautiful well said yeah i i look forward to watching not only your your extensive back catalog but all the new projects how did all right last one clark i know um so like i I mentioned briefly earlier you've got almost 10 features under your belt what what kind of shooting schedule are you on um well so basically i make movies full time uh each movie takes me about 10 months um and the shooting we shoot for usually about 22 23 days uh which is quite long like compared to all the other uh, indie filmmakers i know here in britain you know a lot of people are making stuff in eight days or ten days but i've always right from the beginning done 22 days or more um so i feel like i you know it's a rush but i feel like i get to spend enough time doing it slowly and properly and putting in the attention to detail there's usually about a month of set building and set dressing that goes on beforehand and then post-production lasts for about three and a half months maybe four months but because each film's taken about 10 months it will overlap into the next film so as soon as i finish a shoot and i start post-production on the film uh i'm already on the phone to other companies saying look do you want a werewolf film great and then i can edit in the daytime right in the evening um and then by the day i finish the editing uh i can then go and shoot the werewolf film right away damn that's amazing you what are you a ball of energy you big coffee drinker (laughs) no but you know what it might sound amazing but it's not really because I would much prefer one of these companies to say, make a werewolf film, but we'll pay you double what we are offering. And then I could take, you know, a whole year or a year and a half to make it and actually have a little bit of time to just relax. Um, but uh, I have to pay the bills. So <laughs> it's my job. So that's part of the reason why I have to make so many films because I need to live. Well, as an audience of your films, I am happy <laughs> because you'll keep <laughs> making them. But also, I, I I feel the need. So people who do make, you know, maybe they'll get a couple million and they're making kind of a compromised uh, effort and they have a very pretty film and they shoot in 4K. Uh, as a person who I'm constantly um, just tearing into horror films, those ones, mm. they usually don't even make a, a wrinkle in the water. And... They live even lo- less. Like they, they don't make an impact. And your films will um, give it time. People will find them. And there's a lot. Like rewatching a movie in the modern era isn't the most um, exciting idea to have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yet, do I'm I'm excited. Like you've fallen into the category of one. I've got to buy them. I have to have them on my shelf. 
And the other is <laughs> next time somebody comes over and it's like, what are we going to watch? You're an easy go-to. And mm-hmm. um, again, everybody listening, you should check out Winter Skin. It's on Amazon Prime. If, if you had three films of yours that you'd like, uh, like if, if people were just open-minded and willing to check out anything, what, what are the three titles you'd like, uh, you'd want people to check out? Uh, an English Haunting is a slow burn mystery ghost story. So if you like that type of thing, An English Haunting. Uh, this, this is the thing. They're not all out, but then A Werewolf in England, you know, crazy in-your-face uh, werewolf action horror comedy. Uh, you couldn't possibly get bored with it. And then I've just also finished editing uh, my movie Death Ranch, which I shot in Tennessee, uh, which is like a grindhouse, black exploitation inspired um, uh, sort of revenge thriller, but really, really brutal and bloody, which we don't have a distributor for the film yet because uh, it's about uh, uh, an African-American family who, uh, in the 70s, they come up against... uh, They're staying on an old ranch, and they come up against a KKK cult that are also cannibalistic. Um, But after a little bit of torture and stuff, uh, these African-American characters, they kick the KKK's ass um, and get their revenge, and it is super gory and bloody and full of action all the way through. Um, so I don't know when that's going to come out because obviously in in the current climate of uh, the world, distributors are shying away from taking on this film, but, um, it will find its way out there and, and I'm really pleased with it. So those three uh, are the films that I recommend of mine. Death Ranch. How the fuck did we not open up talking about that? Holy, wait, hold on, wait, so people are timid about approaching, it sounds like exactly what people are trying to make now. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised Jordan Peele wasn't attached to this project. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's the perfect time for this movie to come out and for people to see it. But, you know, at the end of the day, even though the film is strongly anti-racist and, you know, h- hates the KKK because they get obliterated, um... Even with all of that, it still is a film that has the KKK. They're probably going to be on the DVD box artwork. Um, and, you know, the there's racial language and the characters, they do get tortured and stuff before they get their revenge. Uh, I guess companies are just scared of a backlash or, you know, I mean, sensitive viewers probably will be offended by the film. Now, um, also, <laughs> you're a very nuanced writer. I could see, uh, now, again, I have nothing to base this on, but maybe our protagonists aren't the best people also. And I could just, narratively, I don't think anybody would touch it. Yet, I'm still on this, gonna, Severin, what the fuck are you doing? Artsploitation. <laughs> I, know you, I know you assholes listen to this show. Get Charlie before somebody else does. I, um, also, if the film's done, uh, is there any way me and Clark could possibly watch it? Yeah, I'll send you a screener. Oh, fuck yeah. Sounds Dude. good. <laughs> Dude, Charlie, you rule. When um when your Victorian werewolf film comes out, you got to come back yeah. on. You got to hang out more. And I promise yeah, I'll, yeah. Be, I'll be uh, less energized and manic. I'll, uh, be, it's the heat. It's not the heat. It's I'm a fucking... You know, I'm not... The thing is... <laughs> Even though we run a film fest and we've been doing a podcast for fucking too long, 
I'm really I'm just an enthusiast. And uh <laughs> and you know, this is the horror fan in me. You've excited me. And with the fucking slasher film, it's mm. it's it's not a common thing that happens. Well, that's good. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm pleased. Sorry, there was a I'm weird glad. there was a weird little thing that popped up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, Charlie, thanks so much uh, for hanging in there with us, man. We greatly appreciate the talk over there, and uh, yeah, keep us posted, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. And Charlie, I got to ask you, um, just because you're in the local area, uh, I know the Liverpool horror guys found the barge people, and they're very excited. Have, have you gotten uh-huh. in contact with them? I don't think so. Uh, I might have done. I mean, I've done. Uh, this is like my tenth podcast in the last seven days. So oh wow! I've got a, I've got a, <laughs> I've got a schedule of people lined up to talk to. Well, you know, Charlie, thank you for making the time. And it's fine, dude. Your film's fucking rule, dude. Like, please <laughs> keep me updated. It just shoot us an email or something, and we'll put it out there, and we'll remind everybody they got to pick it up. Awesome. Yeah, no, thank you so much. I mean, I'm, I'm really pleased to talk to someone who really enjoys what I'm doing because, you know, it's not, uh, when it comes to low budget horror, uh, people aren't actually, you know, always the nicest about it. You know, I listen, I've listened to podcasts where they've really slagged off my movies, you know, like winter skin and stuff. So there's a whole mixture of stuff. So it's nice to hear somebody appreciating it. Well, you know, the other thing is you're, you you know you're you're keeping the lights on with your films and so mm. often in the horror genre you run into directors who know they can make money especially just dumping on like amazon prime and there's not mm. a lot of love in there yet mm. your your screenplays it's just it, technically i mean you've got an eye the set design is beautiful and then your scripts are just they're refreshing so i i knew mm. when we were going to talk to you that uh, you weren't going to be driving around in a convertible exploiting these people that keep coming <laughs> back to make films with you. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew we'd be in good company. Yeah, oh, that's good. But yeah. <laughs> All right, Charlie, Um, I think this episode will go up on Thursday over here. Before that, okay. I'll, I'll email you again and I'll send you a link and everything. And yeah, just thanks for hanging out with us, man. Yeah, no worries. It was my pleasure. All thanks right. for having me. All right, Charlie, have a good day. You too. Bye-bye now. Bye.